It's begun. No All countdown. Right. You guys aren't going to believe this. So we haven't done a podcast for, I think, maybe a year. Yeah, close to a year. Which is insane. But to be fair, we've all been really busy. Um, you know, the Jeff, world's been ending. The world's been ending. There's been so much, which, you know, actually you can make the argument that that should give us way more content material. We should be releasing more podcasts. Um, but it just, the stars didn't align. No. So, you know, Jeff traveling a lot, um, you know, getting, uh, you know, swab tests before he goes. <laughs> yeah, he's into that now, into uh, anal swab tests. That's been difficult for him because he spends a lot of time in Asia um, where that's <laughs> the number one uh, method of testing for any type of disease. It's true, true. Like pretty much everything. Even if you have like a... You got the cold, bam. Anything, we'll, we'll lock you up in an apartment building for two years. It's swabification, you know. On your posterior. <laughs> so, so Jeff's been hey, doing some, that. Some people are into that. In fact, Let him enjoy. That's mostly what Jeff's, you know, that's more, his number one reason for being in that part of the world. But, uh, so Adam and I don't live too far from each other. We're not going to say where because we don't want to disclose. We don't Ohio. Wanna, I don't want to get swatted. <laughs> you don't want to uh, Tim pool yourself? I don't want to get swatted. I don't want to, uh, I don't want anyone to dox me, you know? <laughs> so, so, but we're, we're in the Midwest, um, and uh, Adam decided to drive down and, and hang. So uh, Adam is here with me, Clint. Adam, welcome to uh, to my humble abode. That's wonderful to be here. Yeah, I man. love it. It's cool. It's cool to uh, finally get together. I, I was in in my mind when we conceived this podcast. I had an, an idea that you know in the in the future we would all three of us be able to get together regularly in the same room and eventually, uh, eventually have a podcast. So hopefully Jeff is listening to this and he. Um, instead of just living in Asia and getting, um, you know, swabbed, maybe he would think <laughs> about moving to the Midwest where, you know... Um, where life is good right now. Where real salt-of-the-earth people live, and uh, people are generally generally uh, polite. Um, True story. They try to help their neighbors, and um, yeah, good people here, good good folks. And generally, when, when things go, go south, you know, everything's going down. You got all the water here, you got the Great Lakes, you could drink that. You got all the farmland in the world, all uh, good... Healthy black earth, yeah. And uh, well, you know, you can grow everything and drink everything here. You got land, you got water, um, and I think mostly you you don't have that that anxious tension of mm. being too close to a big city because if something goes down, that's where it's going to kick off first. It's going to spread to the suburbs. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and it's just going to be, you know, the de- the the degradation of of society. Um, I think in that if that occurs, and we've seen plenty of, we're not doomsday preppers, but like we've mm-hmm. seen, Adam and I have seen plenty of signs that will point to this being something that could happen. It's just better to be to have a little distance and yeah. get you know away from it. I mean, I'm in that suburb as well, but I think this suburb, if if you know if that did happen, I think people would get together and come together and and sort of. Be able to support each other and, and mostly for security. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I, I think everybody would be qu- quick to talk to their neighbors and see yeah. what they're doing, hear what they're doing. Uh, everyone would definitely ask who's got a gun, uh, who's got what with regards to supplies, and uh, sharing would begin in some sort of way. Yeah, and I think um, in this part of the world where I am in the suburb, um, outside of a, a smallish city or medium sized city, I think. Um, in my area, if I was just going to guess, mm-hmm. just if I, you know, had my hunch, I would say probably nine out of ten people in this neighborhood have gun- have firearms. No, oh, well, there you go. Um, in fact, my next door neighbor is a um, he's a pastor of a church, well, retired pastor of a church, but he 
he goes, you know, pheasant hunting every mm-hmm. weekend. He, um, he likes to turkey hunt, um, go deer hunting. You know, older guy, yeah. retired, but, you know, he knows his way around a gun. Yeah. And he's got firearms, and uh, he knows that I have firearms. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so we kind of have this... this you know, unspoken bond. Unspoken bond where, you know, I've got his back, he's got my back, and it's nice to have live in an area and have neighbors that you kind of have that same um, outlook on, mm-hmm. on you know, on life and yeah. um and also just uh also just the the idea that um <laughs> pretty much and and I'm not saying that you should do this but I can what's that no lights are the lights go dead we're still know. we're still getting a feed so oh okay that's good. fine i guess it will, at the end we'll find out <laughs> Adam, Adam, for those who are listening well you're all listening but adam's looking at the um mixer and it's like for some reason the lights went off so we're not sure whether this is recording but i think it probably is but just just living in this neighborhood i mean the amount of times that i leave the garage door open and run to the store Mm -hmm. and then come back and go ah the garage door didn't shut or maybe i hit it and it went back up or whatever i mean i've left the garage door open for six hours you know and Mm -hmm. come back and like nothing i mean the other day i left the sliding door on my van open you know from mid-afternoon yeah all the way until the next day you can do that though here nothing nobody even nothing happened period like nothing so meanwhile by me we used to do that not anymore uh the south side started pouring out into the suburbs and uh people got got carjacked in their driveways people got uh their groceries stolen from out of their garages i mean people got like uh this is just a few months ago. A fellow who has a drivable uh, mower got that taken from him. Yeah, I remember growing up in the '90s, um, in you know, a similar neighborhood to this. Um, every now and then, you would get a break in in the garage, and someone's bike would get stolen. Or... Yeah, yeah, but I, I think nowadays, or at least within the past year and a half, it's increased in the Chicago suburbs. It's it's definitely more prominent than it was. Um, Certain certain suburbs have never seen anything like that. So for them, you know, their local patch newspapers or their local uh, blogs slash uh, Facebook groups are all blowing up with uh, you know safety yeah. you know, advice and stuff like that. So, so have you heard of the uh, the term the phrase "revolution of rising expectations"? Mm, no. What does that mean? So it's a um, it's a political theory. I can't remember the name of the gentleman that came up with it but it, it basically says it predicts when revolutions will happen in societies oh. and it typically historically um is and, and i think most world leaders and economists mm-hmm. they know this they're they're keenly aware of how this plays out um but it, it's essentially well macron's got to look out watch out right right like in countries like france this is all this is a big theme that plays out mm-hmm. you know over history but you'll you'll have a time of prosperity where people will start to feel like their you know their future is is good and there's brightness there's, ahead. There's perspective. There's uh, there's um prospects for their future and there's yeah. opportunity and um and you know they they're owning more things mm-hmm. they're building wealth they okay. have property and you'll see this trend start to happen and then the 1990s they get it you know pulled from them mm-hmm. um, whether it be from economic testery or from usually from elites looting the treasury which is what's mm-hmm. happening in the United States yeah the fed the fed um, the elites are basically like transferring wealth from these people and that when people get desperate mm-hmm. um, then it kicks off or they 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 have a revolution because they expect their standard of living to be up here okay i know what you're talking about and they get used yeah, yeah. to it 
and that's that's the only life or way they know. Mm-hmm. And then you're telling them, oh, by the way, you're going to have to do fuel rationing. You're going to have to um, only eat meat once a week. You're Austerity to, kicks in, stuff like yeah, that. No, yeah. no, no vacations to Mexico or fucking Cancun or wherever you want to go, or you know, all these things you you were you definitely used to as a lifestyle mm-hmm. are now pulled from you. You you're, you can't go buy a new car. Um, in fact, we don't want you to drive. Like so, no new I laptops, feel, no nothing. I mm. feel like we're on the precipice of a revolution from rising expectations, which means that like people just expect. Amazon to deliver stuff to them. I see that happening, yeah. People expect to be able to get on the internet and look things up. And and if these elites keep on fleecing and beating down the middle class, beating down mm-hmm. even the upper middle class, they're beating them down too. They're taking, you know, now upper middle class does okay, but I know there's probably people making 500K a year. Yeah, but the um, mortgage is still got to get paid. And they're still, they're, they're making it harder and harder to turn that 500,000 a year into mm-hmm. generational wealth. Oh, okay. Which is yep. what, you know, they're basically... I mean, that's the goal of any parent, right? Anybody right. that wants right. to do anything with regards to getting up there. Right. So even these people, like, I mean, they're what they're doing is uh, making it so that the future looks bleak and that we can't enjoy the things we used to enjoy. And that's just a... Man, that's a bad place to be. Well, I, I think with regards to that, a lot of people are kind of stuck, stuck in this kind of realm of ontology, which was uh, this is like a French concept of constantly looking back and being depressed or seeking a future that never happened for you. Mm. So uh, the way I see it is with regards to this revolution of expectations is that way too many people look back at their life, realize I made a mistake here and there. I wish I could have done this and that. And then we, we've done it on such a large scale that everyone's depressed in some sort of way. Um, Nostalgia is a huge part of this. That's why we have all these shows like, um, you know, Stranger Things that looks back at the 80s as a time of prosperity and and some sort of like 1950s era uh, variant of that. And 1990s where, you know, television was freer in a way with regards to, let's say, cartoons. Uh, You know, you can make fun of everybody and everybody kind of laughed at it. Meanwhile, now this this hauntological kind of depression sets in and, and you're thinking to yourself, damn, I, I wish I, I could have done this. Why, and, then you, and then you focus on what you didn't do instead of actually acting and, and sort of finding a purpose to, to what it is that you should be doing now. And I think that's what, what was happening. With this regards to expectations, your expectations are now so bleak that you don't even think about the ontology of yourself. You, you start thinking of the ontology of your children, what might happen to them, might, what might not happen to them, and how, what sort of role you play in that. Because then you start blaming yourself. But it's really, I mean, it's out of your control. The, the elites are controlling all that. And you're just kind of right. just a pawn in, 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 you know, like a symbolic sort of way. It happened to a lot of people in 2008 when the economy oh, yeah, crashed. Yeah. They had small businesses. They were building somewhat successful businesses or, you know, they had a chance to. Mm. Some of them were very successful small businesses and they got just destroyed. Well, no. hell, tw- 2020, uh, COVID did all this. I mean, just look at what happened but in that, California. But we're still experiencing that fallout now. Like that, that, that's oh, yeah, for what, sure. That's, that's what is coming. It's bad already. All these businesses went out of business. Uh, all these small businesses, you know, folded mm-hmm. shop. Yeah. But we, we're, we're on the front end, I think. I think we're what we're – and I don't, I don't want to be Mr. Negative Black Pill, but I just – I feel like you can't, you can't lend – or not lend. You can't give a trillion dollars a day yeah. to the banks – 
essentially, or to the bond market. I mean, that's what happened in, what happened. in the, the crash, March 2022. Right. Right. You can't give that money to these ultra wealthy with no kinds of, you know, the, the strings attached. You can say there were strings attached, but like not. No, really, there weren't. Come really. on. Let, let's be honest. Yeah. They just get, they just get, you know, cash flow to do whatever they want with. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, um, they give you 1400 bucks and figure it out. And then they, they send everybody a $1,400 check and then they tell us that it's our fault for taking the check. Now, some of my checks that I got from, from Biden when mm -hmm. he came in, they just pulled that out of my tax return. Wow. So they took my, so they, they, they put money in my bank account. And then when I filed for my taxes, they took it back they out. They took it back out. So the, you know, the illusion of giving. It's, it's based on my tax bracket, which mm -hmm. is fine. I didn't want the money in the first place. Yeah. I would rather have a sound economy. Right. This is where and you know, the opportunity to do what you got to do for your yeah, job. Yeah, a functioning economy where I can actually sell what I'm being you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. hired to sell, as opposed to having them basically take away twenty percent of my wealth through inflation because mm -hmm. everything costs twenty percent more. Which is, uh, I mean, some for some products, it's a low number. Yeah, you know, um, some some's like a hundred percent. Some some are. You know, and shrinkflation, shrink, shrink where their packaging is getting smaller, but it's the same price. Yeah, That's yeah. pretty obvious. You can see that on a lot of shelves. So, I mean, look at know, chips. That happened with chips. Dude, it's, it's getting crazy. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. We're in this weird, weird situation where I think that people, and I'm, you know, Adam and I were talking about it, but Adam, you're in, a, you're in an area that I would, I would say is probably danger zone just because it's oh, yeah. so close to Chicago. I, I think so. I, I think it's a matter of time. If everything goes to shit, oh, that's going to be, it, it's going to be wild because the suburbs where I live in are very Eastern European, very kind of religious. They have the, these family values and they, they don't fuck around. Um, somebody comes in and they, they mess with the community. Uh, that person is going to get their ass beat. Uh, yeah. It's not one of this like, oh, well, you know, he's, he's just trying to survive. That's why he's out here stealing. Uh, we should just let him do that. Like, no, uh, you know, some Lithuanian, some Ukrainian, some Polar, some German even is going to go up to him and uh, bitch him out. You so see that video of that, uh, that dude that was, I guess he was drunk, but he was stealing from a convenience store. Um, I think it was. I mean, I've seen a lot of videos like Chicago. that. So. I, I, I could check this, but he was mm -hmm. stealing from a convenience store. Um, and uh, might have been New York, but it was either New York, New York or Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he tried to, the, the clerk said, hey, you, you know, get out of here. You, you're stealing. Yeah, yeah. He tried to get violent swing with the clerk and this Bosnian immigrant dude, who's like a jiu-jitsu black mm -hmm. belt, just, you know, put him on the floor and put him in a hold. Good. And just kept him there until the cops came. What, what, nice. I found, what I found fascinating about the video um, is that he's holding there. He gets a cell phone out to record it, you know, just to make sure that, you know, they don't accuse him of brutality or yeah, like, yeah, whatever yeah. they could do. And, you know, if Kim Fox is going to be pressing charges because <laughs> she's a... Um, piece of shit. Um, but <laughs> true story. You know, I mean, hundred percent, dude. She's a crazy person. Yeah. But um, so so he's got the camera out and he's videotaping himself, and the dude, like, you can see he's getting flustered. He's like, dude, where are the police? Like, I've been holding this dude down for like, you know, ten minutes. And wow, I haven't seen this video. No police That's not showing up, and he's just like holding him, and the guy's struggling and trying to get free, mm -hmm. and he's just talking like a drunk idiot. And he's like, gosh, how long do I got to hold this guy here? And it's like the police have no. Um, their response time now, and I think this is probably what's happening with a lot of police in a lot of major cities, is they get a call and they're like, "No, well, I kind of want to go home and see my family tonight. And yeah. I, I also don't want to be 
accused of being racist. I don't want my reputation destroyed. I don't so want to be doxxed. I don't want my children to be hounded in school. Yeah, probably best to just let let all the steam on this thing blow off, mm-hmm. so it's not a violent. So we're not walking into something. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I don't I don't know if this is true, but, but there's probably some psychologically, right? Yeah, for sure. Like the cops thinking, okay, it's a violent altercation. Mm-hmm. Let's give it a little time to like let it settle. Yeah. And then we'll show up. Instead of respond to me, we got remember it used to be like, you know, on the on the TV shows and oh, like, yeah, the yeah. cops at chips and highway patrol. You gotta get a call. We got an OPB. We gotta get Man. over there. We first Next and, thing you know, they're getting beaten, beating the shit out of that guy. Yeah, first in Laurel. And they're <laughs> over there in two seconds. They're like, we're on it. Who's closest? I'm on there. Okay. And they're on it. I think now cops are probably like, hey, we got a um an attempted robbery at this convenience store, mm-hmm. and we got a we got a civilian that's uh, restraining him. All right. Um, we don't need it run over there. I mean, the civilians got it, right? Jump into it. Let's he's, just he's, wait he's to see it. who comes out on top, and then yeah, when yeah. that person's all beat up, then we'll get that person. Well, they'll figure it out between themselves. Uh, this is what does the convenience store clerk think about this? Right. Yeah, this, is yeah. a, this is a theory, because I feel it seems I like your me, theory. It seems to me that, like, I've seen a lot of videos where they call the cops, mm-hmm. and it takes forever for them to, like, Come on the scene. Well, just think of the that terrorist attack in London when that guy was started stabbing everybody, and some Eastern right. European guy was the guy who actually engaged him. Everybody else was like far right. away. Even the cops were just like, "Oh well, let him swing away." Like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? Let him swing away. Like, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it goes on same. Club him. Same thing with Uvalde. Like they just. No. Oh, yeah. Those cops. Cowards didn't want to. And and, and the Uvalde thing, I'm I'm thinking about it, and. I, I know that everyone's saying, oh, the cops are all cowards, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's this element of uh, top-down authority within police departments mm-hmm. that all the regular deputies, like just this, the regular you know, mm-hmm. uh, cops on the beat yeah. that, that arrived, they don't, they're not necessarily trained in like SWAT, Mm-hmm. They're not. They 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 don't want to. They don't want to f up the. You know what could be a, a hostage situation. Yeah. And what could be. I don't know what they knew, mm-hmm. but I just feel like those beat cops. I mean, they're getting a raw deal because the the guys that were in charge that were the leadership. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many of there were that had any authority to do that. Let's say there were two or three mm-hmm. that were top leadership. Yeah, those guys should have been running the operation and getting those guys to go in. I guarantee you, if those beat beat cops, yeah, yeah, were told by their higher up, their mm-hmm. freaking sheriff. Well, it's not sheriff. This was like the. Oh, was it a sheriff? I think it was like, yeah, uh, it was. Uh, <laughs> sheriff or chief of police, whatever what it, was, whatever it yeah. was. I know big cities have chief of police and mm-hmm. small communities have a sheriff. They vote for But I know that if the higher up said, you and you go in, yeah, I think they would have done it. Like, I don't think these beat cops were cowards. I think they were in a state of emergency confusion mm-hmm. and the leadership, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. Because even the leadership doesn't need to... Go in. They're sending their they're sending their guys in. Yeah, yeah. It's not like the chief of police is going to go. Well, storm do you think in this like goes a... back to what we talked about before the podcast, and that's the managerial revolution, or the rather the lack thereof? Yeah, where, James, where... James Burnham. So, so you read it. So, explain some of the premise of the managerial well, revolution. Well, some of it is that um, what happens is there's so many heads or so many bosses within a structure 
that nobody has the willingness to act on their own. Nobody is willing to actually make a choice. So no choice is made and everything goes back to this sort of the Kafkaesque trial uh, mode where a decision's made. Nobody knows what the de- who d- made the decision, mm-hmm. but nobody will act upon the decision because they don't know who made it. And and they they take the um they they take the um path of least resistance whereby yes. they don't make the decision because they don't want to be held accountable. For yes, accountability happens. is very huge in this because and, it, it stems from the, what happened in World War II, uh, the Nuremberg trials. I was just following orders. Well, fo- following orders nowadays is it's it's not an excuse anymore, or rather it. it you could just be blamed for not following orders. But on the other hand, they also blame the superior. So it's both a paradox and a, you know, a two-sided blade. Whatever you do, you're, you're fucked either but way. But it seems like the, and I don't know if Burnham uh, touches on this in the managerial, revo- managerial revolution. revolution. Um, I don't know if he touches on this, but it seems like most of the reactions or decisions would go, would would tend to, um, it, it would tend to, how do you say this? Default mm-hmm. on just not making the decision. Yes, because making the decision, you've actually done a positive or negative action that could be could turn out good, turn, could turn out bad. But you're you're putting yourself in there as the person who made the decision. Where if you don't do anything, you can just say we didn't have enough information. But within uh, what he talks about is that within a structure, the bureaucracy is so convoluted now that one structure have, might have you know, 15 different substructures. So let's say uh, the Department of Defense has numerous sort of offices. And let's say one office makes the decision. It still has to go through two or three other offices for approval. And somewhere along the way, whatever order is given, is are they changed, canceled, uh, returned back with further questions and whatever problem they were trying to solve might go into this sort of infinite cir- circle where it just keeps on getting revolved within the structure and never leaves. And by that time, everything's already done and over with. Yeah. And then it's not an individual who's blamed for it, right. but the institution. Right. And then therefore there's no... Uh, and they still collect their paycheck. Yes. And the, the ambiguity of who it is that's at fault is uh, well ambiguous. Well, this is this is what happens also in large corporations. Yes, you, yes. You call for tech support. That's why nobody serve. gets arrested when big banks fuck uh, the public over. Right. And you know, and you know that you know the call where mm-hmm. you're talking to the the service customer service rep, and they're going, "Hey, this is just our policy. It's not you know you're and I and I go, look, I know that it, this is not you that made the decision, but you're kind of the representative of the company, and so I'm venting my frustration on you, mm-hmm. and they're going. You know, don't don't get mad at me. I'm just this is just I work here. You know, I, I just work here, but I didn't make that policy, and you know, I, I don't have an opinion on it. I just have to enforce it. So I can't give you a refund, or I can't do this, or I can't do that, or I can't. Even though we screwed you, I can't do this. And it's just they they just it, they've set up the structure. And I don't know if they did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. I'd have to read Burnham's book, but they set up the system to be where they can have all these low low level people that can just enforce all of these. Um, really, like brain dead policies. Yes, arbitrary rules. And they can just wipe their hands of it and say it wasn't me. And therefore, the people that actually—and this is the same with politics—the mm-hmm. people that put through these bad ideas and these yes. bad measures 
don't ever even have to deal with the fallout yes, because they've, exactly. they've set up layers of protection. Well, well that's right? that, that whole argument between the rule of law and the, and the sentiment or the feeling of what the law actually means. For example, if a cop pulls you over, right, and uh, something's wrong with your car, let's say uh, taillights out or uh, tires popped, um, and the guy asks, like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll just pu push it to the side. And the cop's like, no, 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 fuck you. We're going to tow this. Yeah. And now you have to pay for it. There's no understanding of that. I, I think it's a video that you shared with, uh, with the group. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that has a lot to do with it, that there's this general rule, and the rule is not to be taken 100%. It's supposed to be kind of put in the context of whatever it is that's happening at that particular moment in time. And nobody's willing to even analyze it or even go that far to take the, the sentiment risk, of there's it. There's too much risk. Yes. But, but the, the risk is implied. The, the risk is kind of ambiguous. It's not a real sort of risk. It's an imagined, self-fulfilled sort of risk. Well, I, I think it, it could be real. You're looking at, like, if I make a call here, mm -hmm. right, or I just, just follow policy, Yeah, yeah. I think there is less risk in just being able to point to, I just... I'm just following the, the best practice. I'm just following the procedure. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go outside of those lines, you're putting yourself in a position where somebody higher up can interpret what you did as going, you know, going against the policy or doing. So, you, so you're you're kind of exposing yourself even a little bit. Mm -hmm. People are going to be averse to exposing them themselves to where they could lose their career or lose um, or you know be suspended or yeah, have yeah. any kind of on their record. And so they're just going to follow the policy, and if it's bad policy, you know, so be it. It's, it's, it's like it's like the cop that, I mean, look, man, if I was a cop, okay, yeah. I'm never going to be a cop, so I can say this uh, on the pod. But, it, dude, if I... You'd start beating people left and right. Just start, <laughs> I would just get a, go buy, like, the best billy club um, on Amazon and just start beating people. Um, no, but, like, if I busted some 17-year-old kid uh -huh. with a, you know, a kilo of marijuana, yeah. like... I wouldn't do shit. Mm -hmm. I would be like, dude, I didn't see anything. Have a good day. Yeah. Like, I mean. Well, uh, think about it. Cops used to do that. And then there's this horrible thing happened, uh, the iPhone, or rather the smartphone, where you can record everything and, and automatically somebody who's not to be blamed for anything takes blame that is thrust upon them. And, and I think that's the, what we're talking about now, that the sort of uh, uh, following the rules. I, I think this is a very modern sort of Prussian system of, of thinking, because th this is taught. Uh, it wasn't taught before. I mean, this is obedience training to the, to the system, to the mm -hmm. rules, to, um, to some sort of authority that you don't really know exists or you've never actually seen, but you feel it, the, the pressure of it's there. And while before, for example, you know, take Chicago, for example. Cops used to, you know, walk the streets, and if they saw anything wild or anything, they'd be like, oh, get out of here, Billy, you know, um, or I'll talk to your mother. I mean, that was like the 50s and 60s. And then something changed. Uh, where the, One of those things was probably that the cops didn't live where it is. 100%. Where, where, where they, uh, Big problem. Yeah. And I don't know where it stems from, but I think it stems from education, from, from this whole Prussian system of obedience to the state and to the ambiguity of the rules that are applied therein. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's probably correct. Yeah, I, I, I liken it to, um, you know, and obviously I played soccer growing mm -hmm. up, but I, I, you can apply this to any game. 
But in soccer, we used to talk about the referee. Mm. And we would say the referee, um, and, and I, I, I was a referee for a little bit, but there's always this idea that the good referees, the really good referees of the game, understood the difference between the laws and like the rules of the game mm-hmm. and the spirit of the game. Exactly. Yeah. And they, were, they, they had an ability to, as an example, let's say a guy slides in, it's in the corner of the box on the on the on the end line outside, you know, okay. bar- barely in the box, and because he plants his arm and it happens to brush off his hand. Yeah. And now the letter of the law, at least at that time, and they've changed the rules since then. So don't mm-hmm. hold me. I'm saying back then, the letter of the law would say, well, he touched, he handled the ball. It should be a penalty. But the spirit of the law would say there was no there was no goal scoring opportunity. There was no it, it didn't really affect the play. Mm-hmm. Um, the offensive player or the attacking player was too far away to, yeah, yeah. you know, it made a difference in what he was going to do. And, you know, it goes out. And the intention what was, was it ball to hand or right. hand to ball? Right. And they, and they, they fixed that by putting some of these, like if your arms in a natural position and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I'm just saying like Diego Maradona, like that kind of, st- yeah, right. Well, yeah. Th- that should have been called. <laughs> that was the most blatant handball hey, ever. God did, hand that. God did that. But, you know, the referee has the flexibility to kind of make that call. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have the VAR system where we can go back and look and see. And the referee, and it's, you know, it's acceptable in the game that the referee is not going to always get it right because yeah. they're seeing things in, at full speed. And I think the same um, flexibility should be applied to, to our law enforcement. You 100%. Know, like, yeah. Like you can see somebody... Like a kid, like I'll give you another example. Mm-hmm. So, when I when I worked at a, a private school, I was walking my dog through the woods because there's a big wooded campus, and I'm walking through. Yeah. And I saw some students that were off in the woods uh-huh. sitting on a log. Um, and my this is a very old school way of uh, doing things: sitting on logs, smoking weed, just hanging out <laughs> right in the woods, just going. This is like an '80s, you know, uh-huh. like went back in time. But I'm walking through. I see them, and and I know who these kids are. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, uh, and I know that this is something that they probably do regularly. Yeah, yeah. So talking about you, Jepson. That's right. <laughs> he knows who you are. So I, so I had, <laughs> so I had like this, this moment uh-huh. where I'm like, I could either approach them mm-hmm. and most likely find contraband. You know, we were like a month away from graduation. Yeah, yeah. They were seniors. Uh-huh. I could ruin their lives, mm-hmm. ruin their graduation, get them expelled, and make a you big You felt coup. powerful then? I just felt the, <laughs> I felt the authority just like an, an, a surge of it. Surging through my veins. <laughs> I could see like the eye of Sauron like, <laughs> on, my, on my forehead. Oh, that's <laughs> So I, I had in that moment, uh-huh. you know, a decision to make. Yeah. I can walk over mm-hmm. and I can be the authority and, um, you know, probably... To the administration, it might look like, oh, look, he's really looking out for the campus and doing, I mean, to some. Yeah, yeah. But to me, I I remember being a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, if they were doing some violent or they were burning, you know, burning something, yeah, they yeah. were doing something that was dangerous to others. That's different, yeah. Then I would probably intervene and I would probably report them and I would go through the procedures that are in place uh, for them to be expelled or suspended mm-hmm. or whatever. But I'm... Sure, they're just hanging out. It's two girls and a, and a guy, and they're yeah. just hanging out. And I'm sure they were probably smoking cigarettes or weed or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And in that moment, um, I'm just like, I'm just going for a hike. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not here to be, you know, I could, yeah, turn into a cop and go over and, and make their lives hell. But, like, 
Like, I don't know. I mean, I, and, and by the way, in high school, I didn't do any contraband. I didn't do anything mm-hmm. bad in high school. Nothing. Like, I was a, you know, the perfect, you know. Okay. Not until I was like 23 that yeah, I started we'll, we'll, to fall uh, off yeah. the rails. Is, is that when you started killing <laughs> yeah. those kangaroos? When I started. <laughs> that was 20, oh boy, that was 24 maybe. Well, there you go. Yeah. It changed you. 25. You saw what kangaroos do to dingoes and, and, and wombats. Yeah, and you're like, this Australia is it. Start shooting uh, wallabies. Um, but no, man, like I, I just felt like I didn't want to, I didn't think what they were doing was, you know, like for me, what they were, were doing. of the time. It's like what most high school kids are are doing and they're tempted to do and like what good does it do for me to mm-hmm. like it's like it's like barack obama smoked like his whole probably high school and college career and it's like good. power to him like well, yeah what if if somebody goes and busts barack obama and now mm-hmm. he's got a freaking weed on his permanent record yeah, or he's yeah. got like the, it's like what you know what good does that do i mean I, me destroy like ruining their lives yeah. like, for what because they want to get high like, that's like on. uh jordan peterson talked about uh don't bother kids skateboarding yeah because they're just doing their thing not, not everyone that you see that you disagree with or you have some sort of suspicion of is doing something that's uh worthy of approach like they're just getting getting their energy out and you know exercising yeah. and fresh uh, air with regards to that just uh just the other week uh i have neighbors that have high school age kids and uh for the very first time there they were, smoking cigarettes uh, on the side of the house. And you know what? I felt kind of proud. Not my kids, but I was like, yes, there it is, the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Those parents are going to realize that what they were doing, because I went with those uh, parents to high school, mm-hmm. that there it is. Yep. It's just a reoccurring thing that uh, every kid has to go through. Yeah. And you know what? Power to them, because those kids are going to eventually, well, hopefully, realize like, oh, that was stupid. Yeah. But hell, I learned something from it. Or, or they'll realize that, yeah, this... We can do these things, but we can do it in a, a responsible way. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I just don't, like, I think that cops, um, people that are attracted to, and, and look, there were other teachers at that school that would have, mm-hmm. like, really gotten off, like you said, like, you could feel it in your veins, the power. They, I think they would have really gotten off on that. And, and I wanted nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not that I wanted them to be, to think it's okay to break the rules and do that. Yeah, I but just, sometimes you gotta, I mean. I just. Uh, with regards to those those that get off on that power, I, I think those are the type of people that don't have power or authority or agency within their own lives. So they try to implement that sort of rigor on such minuscule banal things that you know that that's that's what they that's what they live for. I agree. I agree. Let's change gears, man. Yeah. What's up? Um, you just came back from Central Europe. I did. I did. That was a um, cool. I so I've been. I knew a lot. I feel like I knew far more than the average mm-hmm. uh, citizen about Ukraine and the history of Ukraine um, with Poland and um, not a lot about the Donbass region, to be fair, mm-hmm. but I knew enough about the color revolutions that had happened in Ukraine. 2012, 2014, um, yeah. 2004, 2014, I think. Oh, the second one. Right. Okay. So, yeah, the, the first one was... Um, was it? The uh, Orange Revolution. Right. With Yana, Olga, something. Or, the, I'm t- thinking of the first one. You're thinking of Timoshenko? That's it. That's it. Yeah, the Orange Revolution. But it was Victory. Uh, Yanukovych was the second one. Who was poisoned. What um, am I thinking of now? Uh, you're thinking of um, the second one was uh, Yanukovych. Is, no, Yanukovych was the second one where he fled, remember? Okay, so not On the helicopter. Yanukovych is the Russian, uh, yeah, yeah, more yeah. Russian leaning. That's 2012, I think. Who was right? the guy that was poisoned and had the face disfiguration? Oh. Uh, uh, he was. Um, 
I know who you're talking. I can't. I can't remember his name though. Y- Yushchenko. Uh, Victor Yushchenko. Oh yeah, that's it. You, Victor Yushchenko. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So who's the Russian-backed one who had to flee? Uh, Yanukovych. Yanukovych. Yushchenko yeah, yeah. and Yanukovych. Yeah. That's okay. There okay. you go. Um, and then there's Yatsenyuk. There's yeah. all these guys that start with a Y. It's very confusing. <laughs> so it's hard to keep them all separate. It's the but same guy. Anyway, I knew about the color revolutions. And, and for those listeners that don't know what a color revolution is, it's basically the U.S. Um, State Department, you know, CIA, um, other kinds of NGOs that are basically uh, ways for the CIA and other um, uh, clandestine groups to raise mm-hmm. money. Yeah, yeah. They will pour a bunch of money into a an opposition movement where they get people to come out on the streets yeah. and protest an election. It's a soft coup in a way. It's a way to overthrow the elect uh, democratically elected person and yeah. put in and then you know put in a someone who is more. Um, Sympathetic towards uh, the U.S. American policy, right. so see uh, Pakistan or, or NATO, this year. NATO yeah. interests, you could say, in that region especially. It's probably um, U.S. and NATO working uh, together to kind of force a change. So, yes. and what they do is they they discredit the election. They mm-hmm. say it was, you know, and and by the way, very well could have been a lot of shady stuff happening because Russia is obviously no saint. Trying to be as objective as possible because it's, mm-hmm. it's really hard to. It's not, very difficult to do that. The information war is heavy, and oh, yeah. if if you're just listening to following Ukrainian pro-Ukrainian sources, you're going to have a skewed view. And if you're going to listen to only the Russian sources, you're going to have a skewed view. Mm-hmm. I think, based on what I've been, based on, and and this could just be like some sort of bias that put that you just naturally gravitate to for mm-hmm. one reason or another, but. It seems like to me the Russian sources that I've happened upon are also willing to be critical of Russia. Mm. The Ukrainian sources that I've happened upon tend to be almost this like cartoonish rah rah, almost like, almost like um, embarrassingly uncritical. Like 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 to where the point where they just sort of. Almost like in lockstep, they all sort of yeah, yeah. parrot the same thing as that. We got them. This is like our, you know, look what we needed, and and it, it's like they're they're trying to create. It, it, they're constantly trying to craft a narrative. Yes, and it's a superficial narrative. It's superficial, and on the Russian side, I could see that happening too. Oh yeah, but I also see many of these people, um, like questioning certain whether it be strategic moves or so to or, mention you know, one russians with attitude on twitter i think are phenomenal that's one that i'm talking about so so they're they're one that i've been following from the very beginning mm-hmm. and um uh, they 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 tend to be pretty critical of putin at times mm-hmm. um and also probably obviously way more critical of ukraine yeah. but but they're just they're not like a you don't feel like they're getting a you know, like, a, okay, here's the, pre- here's the press release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, here's what we're going to all say. Well, right? I mean, they got banned several times. Right. Any Anytime somebody gets banned, in my opinion, there's some sort of truth in there. Right, right. So Russians with Attitudes, if you guys don't listen to, to, uh, to their podcast or they have um, a Twitter, you know, best to just follow their Twitter. But mm-hmm. anyway, so like when I'm looking at this whole conflict and I'm, I'm, I know that, you know, you're closely connected with all the what's going on in Poland, mm-hmm. um, but it just looks to me like a situation where if I was going to boil the whole thing down and mm-hmm. you correct me where I'm wrong because you, I think you probably have more, um, you're, you were just there. Yeah. You were close to the action. I mean, you're in Poland and you're, you're, you're very close to, mm-hmm. um, Lviv. Yeah. Um, and I, 
the way that I read it is that Russia, based on what Putin said, okay, mm-hmm. in the past, they didn't really want to have to absorb the um, uh, Donetsk and, and Luhansk. They they didn't want to have to have bring them in. It's mostly yeah. lower income. It's not a, you know it's not it's probably more of a dependency thing where they'd have to take them into the Russian and, and you know like it's just more of a a drain. A lot of grain though. There a lot of lot, grain and a lot of. Uh, coal. But there, but there's all the yeah. you know taking those into to the Russian um, Federation creates sort of a like is it worth it for yeah, the, yeah. for the PR like is it worth worth it for the you know the fallout that yeah, yeah. I get you and you know you could make an argument one way or another Crimea mm-hmm. Crimea certainly was um in 2014 a, a warning oh yeah like look these regions are majority russian mm-hmm. they're majority pro russian and and oh, they have been for a very long time right and and if if you keep meddling and then Ukrainian affairs and Ukrainian politics, then, okay, here's a move of a pawn. Mm-hmm. We're taking Crimea, yeah. so just back off. Um, after 2014, instead of backing off, right? It, they it, doubled down. It appears that they started to, and I don't know whether, which came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't know whether the politicians started thinking it was a good idea to arm these far-right mm. uh, militias. Um, You're talking about Azov? Azov and Kraken. Okay. Um, mm. You even have political arms like C-14, Svoboda, um, you know, uh, right yeah, sector. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And right sector is like, they have like their political wing. It's kind of like the IR, IRA. And IRA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had like the Sinn Féin, mm-hmm. which is the political arm, and they have the fighting arm. Yeah, yeah. Um, or the terrorist arm, you could say. Colombians have something similar. Colombians with the rebels. FARC. And, yeah. yeah. So same, same thing. And this thing kind of plays out, you know, the same in a lot of... Uh, a lot of countries, mm-hmm. but you, you you basically saw the ramping up of of you know just putting muscle into these militias or I, I would say whoa, whoa, whoa. freedom the, fighters freedom fighters they were, they were, I, you, they were, you, you they were freedom fighters and freedom fighters or according to uh, New York Times battalions I mean we're talking like full organized oh, battalions yeah. that are getting somehow getting weapons from the state yeah. Like the state's arming these guys. Uh, these are Nazis, just to just to clarify. A lot of them are, are Nazi-leaning, fascist-leaning sort of uh, groups. Right. You can. There seems to be this uh, tendency to try to brush that away uh-huh. and not actually face what it really is. But oh, they're banderistas. That that's, band, bander. Yeah. We'll talk about nobody. Band, n- nobody knows what that is. So we'll talk about band, bandera. Um, and I want to get to that because I think you you probably you know a lot more about. Um, Stefan Bandera than I do, but when we when I look at the whole thing, when I look at how it developed, right, the mm. whole scenario in Ukraine, and you saw, you see the Russians mm-hmm. who, okay, I, I can I can, Vice, BBC, mm-hmm. um, uh, DW, uh, Radio for Europe, ABC, NBC, um, I think of some other independent, um, CNN. Um, uh, Vox, okay. um, a bunch of these, you know, mostly left-leaning uh, news outlets. Uh-huh. If you go on YouTube and you Google Ukraine Nazis, mm-hmm. oh, okay. okay, yeah, from eight years ago and and in between, yeah, so yeah. eight years in between, there are tons of documentaries on yes. Azov Battalion training and um, all the Nazi uh, 
uh, let's say, the Nazi rituals they were doing. Yes. They've got... Um, the symbolism behind it, too. Children's camps mm -hmm. for indoctrination to become Nazis. The symbolism where they have the pictures of Stefan Bandera, they have rallies in... in Black um, sun everywhere. Like massive rallies in the heart of Kiev, and they've got torches just like the freaking Charlottesville guys marching in, you know, the tiki torches. They've uh, all got more torches. More so torches than tiki torches. They were actually though. not tiki torches. They were actually legit, like, Nazi-level torches where yeah. they're having a, a march in, in Kiev. And Unfortunately, and Menards did not sponsor the Menards Kiev. did not sponsor the <laughs> Kiev. We don't know who did, um, but somehow somebody spent a lot of time selling and making torches. Oh, yeah. But, but there's, what's fascinating about this is that there's, at these marches, there's kids. Mm. There's priests. Yes. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess they're probably the Catholic Ukrainian priests that are the ones that are... Yeah, I don't probably. Because I, like, I know there's like an Orthodox, mm -hmm. Ukrainian Orthodox element too, but I don't... I think this is the Catholic... Because um, the, the West section. is more Catholic. Right. Uh, Galicia, Bowen. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, and they, they look like uh, Russian Orthodox or they look like Eastern Orthodox, um, you know... Mm -hmm. They're not even called priests. What are they called? Like metropolitan or popes? Called or like pope, pope. Well, I don't know what they're called in English. They're not. Well, I, I don't. Does the Eastern Orthodox have a pope? Yeah. Oh, okay. Who's who's that right now? Some know? some old guy. Okay. Is it um? Because the pope. The, the, is it Seraphim Rose? I have no idea. Maybe it is. Um, anyway, there's. A I, bunch I know. Of these, I know they definitely have a pope though. There's these Eastern Orthodox guys. But anyway, long story short, I don't, I don't want to get too into the that side of it but mm -hmm. the media had this like hey we got to be careful about the nazis that are being bring and then all of a sudden that was off the table we oh, can't no. even talk yeah. about that crimea happened and then boom no more talking about the nazis and yeah. um so anyway that that should be very like if you're listening to this podcast mm -hmm. and you're pro-russian or pro-ukrainian when you see the media doing something so uh, egregious, and you see this all the time, yeah. they'll, they'll tweet something, and then like five years later, they'll tweet the, the opposite of it. And this yeah. is happening like crazy, um, like with Lincoln Project, like five years oh, yeah, ago. Yeah. You know, they, before Trump, they were tweeting like abortion is murder, mm -hmm. and now they're tweeting abortion is the best thing ever. Yeah, This is what happened with the whole Ukraine. They were saying there, there are tons of freaking Nazis. This is a serious problem. And these are real Nazis, not the, the made-up kind. No, of these are the... like straight-up freaking uh, Hitler... Yeah. Uh, uh, Hitler, they're holding up pictures of Hitler. They're saluting. They, they have tattoos of swastikas all over their bodies. These are like Goebbels Go tattoos on their chest. Goebbels ta tattoos. I Goebbels, saw one, one guy who was um, who was captured. They had him take his shirt off and strip down. Oh, to, oh I know what you're him. talking about. Yeah, he yeah. had a full Nazi uniform It's on. nuts. Yeah, like his yeah. whole body is a Nazi uniform. Like These guys are no joke Yeah, that's Nazis. dedication. That's dedication. So you've got these guys basically occupying Russian, pro-Russian, Russian-speaking cities like Mariupol. Mm -hmm, yeah. And they were like a terror squad yeah. that just basically had uh, ruled over this area like uh, tyranny. It was like a fiefdom. Yeah, yeah and, and, they, and there was no checks from the government. There was no, mm -hmm. no, no sort of uh, legal process. It was just these Nazis run around with the big weaponry they were given. And so you have these people in Mariupol who are like, any, I mean, they could just take anybody they want and kill them. It, there was no. Well, that's what happened in, in the beginning of the war. Remember, uh, there, there, it was something to the extent of Russians are killing people through the peace corridor, and it turned out that a lot of those killed were killed by Azov, by, by these far right groups. 
So they were, yeah, they were shooting them to. Like, so, so yeah, just to kind of create a, a false narrative. Fear, yeah, mm-hmm. of, of like the Russians are brutal. And by the way, I I don't know. I'm I'm not saying any of this to to to, to like be like, oh, Russia's the good guy. I mean, Russia's that, done some crazy right. shit. Yeah, that, 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 there's, there's no both villains in this. Yeah. There's right, two there's villains no, on, on there's both two sides. villains. The question yeah. is like, and what I did my thesis on, or what I when we were in grad school, I did mine on just mm-hmm. war theory. Mm-hmm. The question is like, if you were to like calculate, like, what what would what would um trigger a just war where you could say we must invade this this yeah. other country because we have to stop this from happening? Mm-hmm. If and my, I think in my um, master's thesis, I think it would lay this out pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it's almost never acceptable. There's not like a just war, especially if you're looking at it from a, a Christian perspective. And I was, I was tying it to theology because that's where okay. just war comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes from Aquinas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even um, uh, uh, Augustine. Augustine had, mentioned had, it. Yeah. He started the process by figuring out how to defend the outposts in North mm-hmm. Africa because yeah. they were just getting slaughtered. Yeah. Um, so he sort of made, started making arguments and then Aquinas, you know, kind of teamed up with the state mm-hmm. and then made it so like, hey, Christians don't have to be passive. We can defend ourselves. Well, he, he, he went back and looked at Plato and, right. and the whole idea of the Republic and what it needs to do to defend the outposts. Right. Yeah. He, he just saw it as like, as not having any kind of defense um, or even offense that's like a, you know mm-hmm. you're, you're going on offense as a form of defense then you're just going to cease to exist exactly was basically the argument yeah, right? yeah. so um, so when I look at the whole scenario here and I'm saying if if you're imagine you're any other country you're not Russia but let's just say you're any other country yeah okay pick a generic country let's say Peru Ooh. okay I better think of another country because I don't know what borders Peru Chile okay okay let's say you're Peru mm-hmm. and you're on your border, let's just say you're the United States. <laughs> we, we could Let, say, let's we just could, go with something very simple. We could say simple. United States. Uh-huh. Like, let's, let's play this out. Let's okay. tease this out. You're United States, and let's say on the border of Canada. Yeah. Okay. All of a sudden, um, somebody that's like likes to wear blackface, mm-hmm. and he, he um, pretends to ten- be Aladdin, has tendencies to, uh, towards racism, uh-huh, yes. um, shuts people's bank accounts down, yes. um, rounds up peaceful protesters and throws them in prison. Wow, does such a person um, exist? Tortures them. Um, he he uh, fires people from their jobs if they don't uh, get um, some kind of experimental mm-hmm. medication that he wants them to have. Tangentially um, related to and, uh, Castro. And t- could be Castro's son and, and huge Nazi. Mm-hmm. Like raving Nazi. Comes Loves to power it. in Canada. Yeah. Okay? Um, paints blackface every day because he thinks it's funny. Yeah. He likes to make fun of minorities. Um, and he talks like a, a character in South Park. Um, <laughs> okay, this douchebag uh-huh. starts to fund militia groups on the U.S. border mm-hmm. in okay? Vancouver. In Vancouver, and he's got okay. So you got the people in in North uh, Washington yeah. that are basically on the border, and and they're being threatened by these Nazi militias that are going across the border from time to time and uh-huh. raids. Okay, and they actually. Um, there's actually a group that's in Canada, okay, mm-hmm. uh, in this Vancouver area that really hates Nazis. There they and are. They can't stand the Nazis. They want the Nazis out. Mm-hmm. But the Nazis just start, um, you know, going after the the pro U.S. Democrats mm-hmm. and decide, okay, we're going to start shelling them. Mm-hmm. So they try to create their own defense. And for eight years, these Nazis are launching. Um, dumb bombs, yep. basically, like like uh, mortar rounds, yep. 
um, and shelling the the pro U.S. Yep. Demo- Democrats that don't want to be ruled by Nazis. There it is. Now, how long would the U.S. government allow that to happen? Definitely before, not eight years. No, I think five minutes mm-hmm. yep. before they roll across the border with tanks and invade a sovereign country. That's remember, right. remember the guy that's in power, the Nazi who does blackface, King Blackface. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. guy. That guy who took power. Yeah. Um, let's say in a coup. Uh huh. That guy is supplying these Nazis with the mortar rounds. There he shells. is. He's doing it. Now, how long would it be before the United States decide? And by the way, that Nazi is talking to another um, another country that's an ally. Let's say China, uh-huh. and he's convincing China that hey, we need to put nuclear missiles uh, launch sites on the border here uh, of the of the United States. Yeah, we need be, to put be a smart bunch to do so, yeah. of just for strategic deployment, mm-hmm. but just for our own security. We need to yeah. bring in nukes and yeah. put them right on the border so we can strike. Uh, we can strike New York or we can strike Chicago in under five minutes. Yes, these citizens, they feel bad. Yeah, because we're developing hypersonic weapons. Exactly. We, can, yeah, we yeah. can literally get it there in five minutes. If we can get them on the border here, we'll just be that much closer to New mm-hmm, York. Mm-hmm. Yep. Would the U.S. allow that for even even the idea of that to come into someone's mind before they shot them in the, between the eyes? Well, I mean, if, if you go back to this whole great idea of uh, what happened with the, the Cuba uh we have an example. We have a real... So 100%, it right. did not happen, right? right. The, the U.S. blockaded the shit out of that, on that island, and uh, those missiles left real quick. Right. So, yeah, 100%. Right. And, and if, if these were... If the Cubans had been Azov-level... Oh, uh, yeah, we, we would have invaded. We would have invaded in a heartbeat. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It wouldn't even be a question. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they were launching... Let's say Guantanamo was like where the Americans lived, yep. and they were shelling it like... Day and night. I mean, for, if the, for eight years, if they were shelling the keys from eighty miles away, or that. I mean, think about that. It would be like a no-brainer. Oh yeah. Right now, to be fair, the Azov. To be fair to these gentlemen, mm-hmm. they, they weren't. They weren't shelling into Russian territory. No, they weren't. They were shelling their own people that mm-hmm. happened to be mostly ethnically Russian. Yes, eighty-six percent. Eighty-six percent, and I think ninety something percent Russian speakers. Yes, um, and they were. You know, so 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 anyway, there's this disconnect that I see mm-hmm. with just the story, like well, just yeah. the story, like 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 Americans don't understand the story. They think, um, and I, I know some other commentators that I follow have said this. And I think it's a really wise way to th- think mm-hmm. about it. They think history started in 2014, or oh. uh, or, they, or they yeah they think they think history started in 2022 with regards to Ukraine. They think history started in 2022. Uh-huh. That Russia just woke up one morning and Putin was like, all right, we've waited long enough. Let's invade. I got my tea, my vodka, and uh, yep. invasion of Ukraine. I just wrestled a bear. <laughs> I played ice hockey. I assassinated four journalists. Yeah. Let's roll into Ukraine. I'm getting bored, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a ridiculous way of, of, of seeing the world. What do, what do Polish... People, when you if you when you were there, and if you, and I mm-hmm. know you spoke to a few, but like when you talk to them spoke about this to conflict, a lot of people, yeah. do they do they know about the um, the CIA sort of backed or State Department backed yes. coup in 2014? Uh, definitely 2004, 2000. Uh, they know about the 2004. Yes, one. they definitely know about what happened in the Orange Revolution. Okay. Do they know the history of what happened in Georgia and I think? Oh yeah, oh definitely, because remember, their pre- uh, the president of Poland was killed. Uh, few years later after giving that famous speech in, in Georgia about Russia 
knocking on Georgians' doors, right. then Ukraine's, then Lithuania's, and then Poland. Right. But, do, but when, when Polish people talk about it, mm -hmm. um, how do they, they, they probably mostly see, mostly see the Russians as the villains. Yes. Well, I mean, that's in the blood, How do they though. view the Ukrainians, though? Also villains. So it's a it's like a, it's like it's like their border is just surrounded by psycho. Villains. Well, it's like that. The Poles see Russia as the bigger threat, but they understand that Ukraine is also a threat because most Poles um, have a very um, mixed reaction to Ukraine. On the one hand, they they like Western Ukraine because it's it used to be Polish. It used right. to be Polish for hundreds of years. So Lviv and all those cities over there, they were built by, by Poles. So they have a, a sort of warm uh, feeling toward it. Uh, on top of that, a lot of those people there have Polish ancestry. Uh, it's close to 60% are, are, have Polish ancestry. Right. So th there's that. However, World War II was a very brutal uh, part of Polish history, especially in Galicia and Bowen where hundreds of thousands of Poles were murdered by Ukrainians, and which, were, which were led by, at that time by Stefan Bandera, who was a nationalist who wanted to have a free Ukraine, which never existed. Uh, Ukraine was never a nation before 1991. What it existed is either a duchy or some sort of regional... Uh, I mean, the only time it really was a country of its own is when it was called uh, Kievan Rus, and even then, it was in part a, a Russian-speaking sort of enclave. A Russian outpost of sorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Poles have this mixed feeling toward, toward Ukraine, um, mostly because of, uh, of World War II. Before then, however, uh, there was also the invasions that uh, Ukrainian Tatars, Ukrainian Cossacks had on the Polish Empire. And they slaughtered hundreds of thousands of Poles before then, um, 1600s, 1700s. Um, also, Ukrainian soldiers uh, marched on Poland to partition it. So, so the, the history is very bloody on, on that sense, uh, on that side. So, but let me ask you this: mm -hmm. during those historical eras, yeah, did did the Poles view them as Ukrainians, or were these just Russians to them? They were Ukrainians. So there was a distinct um, cultural yeah uh, separation, or up until the the, the Napier. Past the Napier on the east side, that was all Russia. That, so that's that's the way Polish, uh, most Poles... What's the difference? Well, their language and their culture. There, there's, a, there's a slight cultural difference. But the language adherence. would be like Czech and Slovak. Yeah, yeah. So it's not... It's similar, but but it's it, it's there is a difference. You could tell. Def there's definitely a difference. Be like... Uh, like how subtle? Would it be like um, Spanish-Spanish and Mexican-Spanish? No. Or would it be more like... Um, it would be like Polish and Russian. Polish and Russian. That's pretty different. Yeah. Like there's several words that are similar, but but it, yeah, th that's the difference. But they can understand each other. Uh, to like forty percent, yeah. Okay, so they can communicate. If mm -hmm. they if they both try to dumb down and make their language basic, yes. they can both. Yeah. Keep Same with Czech and Slovak. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, even Czechs and Slovaks can communicate with Poles, right? And, and it's there, a similar sort of Slavic. Is there? What's the main difference genetically? That's a weird question, but I mean, like, like, you know how. Obviously, like I think it's just tribes that there were different tribes of Slavs. That's all it is. So there's no real defining characteristics of Ukrainians versus Russians. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know Russians is such a melting pot of um, yeah, yeah. you know Asians. And 
but but even on like the eastern side or the rather the western side of Russia, that's that's pretty Slavic, right? Like don't you past the Urals, uh, everything is is different. Don't Ukrainians tend to be more blonde hair, blue eyed? I mean, th- there's more of that uh, that Viking sort of bloodlines in there, mm-hmm. but I think that spreads spread throughout all of Eastern Europe. Russians tend to be more. Um, and I'm talking like white Russians, not mm-hmm. the drink, but you know the the humans. Yeah, um, they tend to be, uh, I don't know, dark hair and bearish. Kind of, yeah, yeah. There's more like a bear tendency, yeah, meaning hairier and, and sort of yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, and, but and, but I think it's tribal. It, it comes from very. I mean, that's where where all these countries have their their or names of origin from various different tribes. I mean, there's a there's a legend in Polish about Lech, Czech, and the Rus, uh, three different kings that set up. Three different cities, which is uh, Prague, uh, Kiev, and and uh, Krakow. And Lech was the Polish, Rus was the the Russian, and uh, the Czech was the Czech. The Rus Czech, mm-hmm. and that stems from just being in the same forest and going to different different routes. Right, but they're all pretty much Slavic. Yeah, they're all Origins they're all Slavs. Yeah, the same. The blonde comes from from you know the Viking bloodlines. It must have mixed in through warfare. Oh, definitely through right. warfare. And I mean, in in the I think fourteenth and fifteenth century, um, Sweden was a, you know a burgeoning empire that invaded down south into Germany, Poland, and, and Russia. So they they did a lot of raping and pillaging. Mm-hmm. So my so you're saying my family comes from rapers and pillagers. Uh, yes, uh, that's what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> <laughs> because my wife is is Czech. I'm very blonde, um, and my children look like uh, the Targaryens from <laughs> Game of Thrones. Like they have their hair is so blonde uh-huh. um, that yeah, they you know from Czech Republic. But there are some blonde Czechs. Yeah, but it's not. It's probably the you know minority. Mm-hmm. But there's some blonde, blue-eyed Czechs, and so my kids look. They look very. Um, yeah, that's definitely that Swedish uh, Viking bloodline right. there. Like Pavel Nedved, yeah. the Czechs. You mm-hmm. know, um, if you're not familiar, the soccer player that had you know long blonde hair. Yep, that's what they look like. Um, okay, so go back to um, uh, uh, Stefan Bandera is during World War II mm-hmm. is running around this area, basically just persecuting poles. Yes. Not, not just persecuting, but he's like murdering. I mean, hun- hundreds of thousands of poles were killed in Eastern Galicia. These are terror Berlin. squads. Uh, and and these people were Death killed bombs. akin to what was happening in Rwanda with pitchforks and and you know hose and uh, what they used to do to pregnant women and this is I mean this is all documented is they used to take them on on picket fences and pierce them uh, upon their you know private areas Very, so like then lobby the, impaler type yeah it, it was yeah. it was wild crazy shit so if you if you want to research this research the massacres in Eastern Galicia and East and uh, Vowin. And they were just brutal. Um, so when when this war first started, when 2022 came around and Russia invaded, um, at first all the Poles were, you know, they understood because nobody helped them during World War II. So they were more than happy to help the Ukrainians. But now after this four months, three, four months, there there's this tension building up because now a lot of Poles are, are secondary citizens. Um, for example, when I was just waiting in, at a post office to send a package out, uh, I waited for about an hour and a half because uh, in between me getting there and me leaving, uh, seven different Ukrainians came in and all seven were able to cut in line to take care of whatever it is that they were taking care of. Why did they get that priority? Because there's some sort of weird psychological uh, 
feeling like oh, oh they're, like they're, we, they're, we, it would be rude of us to not let them cut exactly uh they've they've come through you know hell hellfire to get here but don't those ukrainians feel like that's rude to do to a place that's a that's warmly uh accepted them and taken them in that they i don't know i don't know if they the do I, you see i don't know if they do i, I feel like it, um and several people have mentioned this to me that they feel that they they're owed entitled that yes because they got screwed exactly yeah. the, Poland owes them this, or the Poles owe them this. Like, we got the short end of the stick, so mm-hmm. you guys need to basically lay down the red carpet for and us. And that's the feeling that's that's yeah. percolating in, in Poland. That's um, going to create some serious resentment. Oh, for sure. Uh, it's already building up. Um, it, it's, not, uh, it's not happening as much, but there was some Ukrainian crime, like Ukrainians committed crime where they beat up Poles and, and stuff like that. It's not, not much of it. That happens with every But whenever it does happen, immigration um, happens, right? There's a mass mass hatred toward toward that individual and that group right away. Right. Um, however, many many polls see this as an opportunity because mostly there's women, children, elderly. So th- there's this belief that okay, we're gonna try to see if we can incorporate them because religiously, uh, ethnically, and culturally very similar. However, there's always that underlying like statement that after you know. Everyone says it. It's like, oh, you know, we got to help them out and, and do all this and, and make sure that they're well off and whatnot. But remember that they're banderistas. Right. And, and it's not that they're Ukrainian, but remember that they're banderistas. Look, these are not um, Ukrainians that are coming from the Donbass. No, no, these no. These are no. Ukrainians that are coming from Galicia, mm-hmm. which when you see the Vice documentary or you see mm-hmm. the BBC documentary, and you see the torches and the um, rallies where they're holding up pictures of Bandera, yeah. and they're holding, and they have the right sector flags with black, uh, black with and red, black on the top and red on the bottom, mm-hmm. um, which is basically the dark sky and the blood-soaked soil. Yep. Because if you don't, if you know the Ukrainian flag, it's supposed to be sky and basically wheat um, or harvest. Yep. You know, which is the gold. And the right sector flag is a play on that of where you see the black and red flag. That is like. Hardcore banderite loving, yep. um, banderite worshiping, um, swastika tattooed terrorists. Yeah, I mean, even that 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 statement of Slava Ukraina that comes from Bandera, that that didn't exist before. It existed in in like a weird sort of uh, Cossack way, because they had this whole idea of having a grand uh, Ukraine that broke away from both empires, the Russian and the. Polish which Cossacks would inevitably rule. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, brutally. So, so um, yeah, every time anyone in Poland, you know, talks about what the next step is, it's always, um, well, hopefully they go back as soon as possible. Which, uh, yeah, um, Poland is in the most precarious. I mean, obviously Ukraine is, but well, Poland, outside of those, you could say Lithuania decided to raise their hand mm. and kind of almost uh, insert themselves into a conflict they should not have done. We can talk about that. But like Poland to me is in the most precarious position. Mm -hmm. Now I just read today um, from one of my sources that I think is neither Russian nor Ukrainian, but reports on what's happening on the ground. Mm -hmm. That report had said something like either 60 or 80. I can't remember because those numbers, but 60 or 80 Polish mercenaries were just vaporized in a um uh an attack missile strike yep um i mean that was i'm not surprised yesterday yep um, there's a bunch of uh 
Polish special forces pretending that they're mercenaries or doing whatever and I think un- under different guises. You know, Russia is now firing these Eskander missiles. Oh, yeah. Which are so accurate, so precise. They travel at such a high velocity. They're insane, I mean, too. Once it, they hit, it's like the, the, just the, the mean, sound wave of it kills people. It's very large explosion. Mm-hmm. And so they're basically getting intel probably from uh, unmanned aerial vehicles that mm-hmm. are flying around, yeah. finding out where the troop movements are, going into barracks, or they're finding some intelligence from a tweet or from a freak, somebody posting something on a message board yeah, yeah. of where their location is, giving it away. Eskander missile is launched, and there goes 60 fighters yep. like that. From Boom. The West. Done. And so this is the kind of stuff that's happening daily, unreported in the Western yeah. news. Well, uh, when I was there, the speculation is, or the estimates are that around 70,000, this is 10 days ago, Mm -hmm. so it's probably like 73,000 by now, Ukrainian uh, forces that have been decimated. That number is probably much higher. I mean, because in the last three days, Mm -hmm. the the, um, Severodonetsk, some of these cities um, that are in sort of the western Donbass are just getting Rowdy. Oh, they're getting rocked, yeah. and, and they're getting routed bad. I've seen um, videos of upwards of a hundred troops captured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Where they're just going down the line. The video of these troops coming out is, I mean, it's almost it's almost to the point where it's almost uh, total capitulation. Mm-hmm. It's getting close. Well, I mean, food is so scarce over there. It's it's insane. Imagine feeding an army right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Right. You're, you're, and this is the middle of summer. This is where you're supposed to be able to feed them. Right. So come, come October, November, it's, things are going to get so bleak. You know, well. Meanwhile, just, Russia's economy is booming. Yeah. Um, India is really helping out in all this. Indian oil sales has is, is, is increased tenfold. Yeah. Well, India itself is sort of kind of prepping for, for something in the, for something for, uh, for Pakistan. I don't know what China's uh, oil is from Russia now, but it, that's increased. Mm-hmm. multiples yeah so we have a scenario where russia's doing fine yep in fact their weapon uh, production capacity has only increased i don't know that Ooh. yeah they're they're basically the, the, the all the information coming out mm-hmm. um early on was that russia doesn't have enough weapons to go on for longer than a week mm. Yeah, that's not That true. was absolute and utter horseshit. Th- that's such ridiculousness. I, ridiculous. I mean, th- the whole idea that uh, they thought this war was going to be over in four days, no general in the history of any country ever has thought that four-day war is going to happen. They right. always plan for at least months. And, and Russia never said that. No, never. That, that, that was, that that was, was a narrative from the Ukrainian side, or rather the Western, Western narrative. Somebody in the West decided to create a narrative that said that Russia expected to win this thing in like three days. <laughs> So ridiculous. That was never going to happen. Against, against, you know, what we talked about. I mean, taking Kiev itself is going to take literally close to a year. I mean, that, that's an enormous chat, city. But I think we chatted about this. Like, the, the, the Russians, okay, the Russians knew mm-hmm. that the first month they would be fighting um, very well-drilled, um, experienced fighters. They'd be fighting the army. They yeah. would be fighting the army and these Nazi battalions that had been basically mm-hmm. practicing for eight years, launching, you know, doing military operations yep. and, 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 you know, launching shells and, you know, basically getting experience dialing in. They knew they were going to be up against that in the first, you know, month or so, let's mm-hmm. say. Now we're seeing the next phase, which yeah. is that 
all those guys have either been captured or killed. Yep. They're now the guys that are getting killed. When you see the guys they're posting now, oh, that, it's, sad. Um, it's very, are, very sad. These are just like dads that were, were an accountant, and now they're told they're just normal people. Yeah. You know, you're 45. You've got three kids. You're an accountant, and you need to go to the down bass. Well, I mean, and the uh, dude's like, I never shot a gun in my life. Yeah. What What happened early? I think it was 12 days ago, is that Ukrainian government uh, contacted the Polish government to ask them to take every possible Ukrainian man and ship them back to Ukraine as a soldier. And, and you've seen the videos of them um, going to like the beach and mm -hmm. looking for the men that are of fighting age and get basically signing them up and saying you need to get on the first bus to the, you know, go you're going to yeah. the front. Well, well, the big thing too is is that there's a whole bunch of Westerners that are going to Lviv to all these, uh, you know, uh, cities on the Western end uh, for some sort of weird, uh, you know, extremist tourism. What you don't hear is that a lot of those fellows get kidnapped and forced yeah, into yeah. the army. Right, right. They're, they're there, you know, thinking for, they're going to have a good time taking photos, making their friends jealous that they're in Lviv during wartime, but then... Couple of weeks later, where are they? They're I, fucking Donetsk. Just I, I would have loved uh, that. lit up. I would have loved that if they did that for Ben Stiller. Just like just <laughs> send him, just like get uh, him out and be like, dude, Tropic Thunder too. You're yeah, you're you're of age. So there you get go. out there and fight. But what's crazy is when you think about the um, uh, how asymmetric this is. Oh yeah, it's unbelievably asymmetric. Mm -hmm. So, but the narrative isn't. The narrative is so no, one-sided. It's unbelievable. The narrative, at least in the West. Yes, m must be to drag it out as long as they can to be able to sell the maximum amount of weapons. Wh which I understand, right? though, because you have to build up some sort of morale for people to and keep building, on fighting. And this is a natural. Like, mm -hmm. like yeah. you, you could say this. This is a good point that you make because you could say this is just propaganda, but it's also... It happens all the time, every war. The information war is part of war, mm -hmm. and you cannot signal that you're being defeated oh yeah you can only signal like success because you got to keep the troops morale up to keep mm -hmm. fighting otherwise if they start to believe that it's lost cause you're done yeah the so, so, so they have to it's part of the game you have to but the asymmetrical nature of this when what i'm seeing on the videos that i watch mm. are basically 45 year old dad yeah. from uh you know basically from kiev who gets sent to the Donbass to fight, never fired a gun in his life. Now he's holding, wearing camo, and he's got, you know, an AK-47, and he's, um, you know, basically in a trench mm -hmm. somewhere. Yeah. And on the other side of that field where the trench is, is uh, Chechens who have been fighting their whole fucking life. And who and, are so bloodthirsty because that's all I they mean, really know. They just, it's in their blood to fight because they've, they've been basically defending their caucus mm -hmm. region forever, even yeah. against the Russians, where they had these brutal wars against the Russians. And, and, and the Chechens have this whole vendetta against the Ukrainians now, because uh, in, when the war first started, Ukrainians put uh, pork uh, fat all over and, the bullets. And that, that narrative came out, yep. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, well, the Chechens are very religious people, so next right. thing you know, they're, they're, they've already got a vendetta, and, and they, they're not going to take prisoners. I so. mean, what people don't understand is, like, that... Chechens have been have been fighting for oh, yeah. so long that hundreds of such years now, literally hundreds of years. Fighters, literally hundreds of years. Like it's in their DNA. Mm -hmm. um, and even recently, I mean, they've, had, they've had two wars against Russia. Yeah, yeah. Right. But, but I mean, these people fucking wrestle bears for fun. I mean, right. <laughs> right. come on and, now. And by the way, when I say Chechens, it's not just Chechens. It's also Dagestani. Yes, yeah, so Dagestani. It's, it's from yes, all yeah. these regions. They're coming in mm -hmm. to fight 
um, for the Russian army. And th- this is like this is like Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll stay on the soccer analogies. It's yeah. like Real Madrid playing this like fucking uh, your high school, your local like, high school soccer team. Playing a high school soccer team, like you know, just a random public school. When when it comes to really violent uh, military, uh, just mercenaries. I mean, it, it's it like it's not for them to continue this narrative mm-hmm. of trying to say that Ukraine has some sort of chance. Like it's madness to have the high school soccer team about to play Real Madrid and nobody steps in and says, "Hey guys, this is not a really good matchup. Yeah, we probably shouldn't televise this. This is stupid." No, no, no. We got to televise it no, on no, every they channel. Got a chance. They got a chance. No, that striker's really good. Oh, no, they're, we're, getting, we're getting new shin guards. We're, oh. we're, we're, <laughs> you know, we're going to get, um, we got a new training. Uh, you know, we got some, actually, some, some Canadians are coming in, and they're going to train them. The striker of Kiev's going to definitely, he already scored yeah, like yeah, 47 yeah. goals. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of these guys is, is, is going to be playing for Real Madrid someday. Oh, he's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a real superstar. Yeah, he's from, uh, you know, he, he's from, uh, you know, some small town in Indiana. He's oh, yeah. Do great. Yeah, yeah. great it's, like, it's like the, the idea that we're, we're capable as humans of trying to um, keep up this illusion. But we want to want to be hopeful. I mean, these past, I feel it's just there's been no, shit after shit since can, 2011 dude, or 2001, actually. We can talk about hopeful. Oh, like, well, that's true, if, yeah. I mean, like, if, if you're hopeful, that means like, okay, hey, we've got these um, Azov guys that have been fighting valiantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all have Nazi tattoos, but they've been fighting valiantly. They have. And, yeah, I give them that. And they're still alive. And then you can say, you know, these Azov guys can can hold their own maybe against these Chechens. That didn't happen. They got their asses kicked. Yeah, they and, definitely did. And they got bunkered down into, you know. House of Steel. Azov Steel Factory. Which is crazy. Azov had to back out into House of Steel. The paradox. Azov Steel Factory, yeah. It's just, it's, uh, the, the simulation's winking. Right? Right? <laughs> definitely. With these kind of like parallels, and now it's the Azov. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Chemical Every, factory. Everything's changed. So with, with a little, yeah, with little twist little here, but but it's just crazy to think that all of your seasoned veteran fighters have been annihilated or captured, mm. and you're sending a teacher from Kiev. Farmers are fighting and them. farmers to go yeah. fight against Chechen fucking badasses, yeah. beasts that are that are armed to the teeth with the latest and greatest Russian weaponry mm-hmm. you can have, and they're monsters. That's the scariest thing. I mean, these guys I mean, are not fucking. These, this is like, the, yeah. The, Dude, this is like fucking George St. Pierre and uh, Nurga Magomedov yeah. like fighting against a couple high school kids from the wrestling team locally. Yeah. It's such a joke. This is Jesse Eisenberg versus... Uh, like... Yeah. Yeah, Jesse Eisenberg <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg be, be, <laughs> fighting uh, whoever, whoever you think... Or Tyson. That's fighting, what it really is. Right. Like, the fact that we're able to suspend belief... Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the media, the media. But I, I, I think I, I'm like, telling you, crazy. It, it stems from this need for some sort of hopefulness in, in narratives, because we've had a very bleak narratives for so long. You have 2001. What do you have? Bam, two towers go down. Then you have one war. You have another war. 2008. You have another bleak destruction of the world. What after that? You got what else? You got uh, uh, Arab Spring, one of the biggest failures in the history of the past 200 years after that bam you got another war you got a covid flowing over you got libya you got syria all you have is this bloodshed and 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 horror and economic downfall i get it and then and here comes ukraine this 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 fellow that can this train that went up the hill but it's still a lie 
but this is all this this is all from the West, mm-hmm. keeping them engaged with Russia because Biden can't afford to lose another one. He pulled out of Afghanistan. I mean, he he's already lost. But, but I mean, it's, it's, we we all know it's lost. Yeah, it's, like it's like lost. Well, we when I say we, Adam and I know the writing's on the wall. Mm-hmm. When when you see it, when you see yeah. Chechen fighters on one side, and yeah. then you see fucking Yerji, yeah, you know from from uh, finance, yeah. With a gun in his hand on there the other side. Y- Yuri doing his thing. Yuri, Yuri. And, and I don't want people to think that we're kind of making fun of this because the way I see it is... No, I'm trying to save their th- lives. Th- this is very, like, like, very you know, like, sad. Like, this is w- one of the most melancholy things, at least in my life, if, when you really think about it. Because look at your neighbor, look at your grandparents, look at anyone and every, everyone that you might know. Your and, son. And your these dog. are the people that are out there fighting against literal monsters. Like trained murderers. Yeah. Like... You know, I mean, these are people that literally have just been, you know, slaying people since the 1700s. Gener- these are four generations of just master murderers. And and let's let's talk about another aspect that I think people don't understand. Um, if you're following this and you have the right sources, you'll mm-hmm. see these videos all the time. Oh, all the time, yeah. Like unmanned aerial vehicles, so they're using drones. Okay, mm-hmm. now remember, Russia has control of the skies. Yeah, definitely. Ukraine can get some drones up occasionally. But a lot of those just get picked off by, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, anti-aircraft type weapons that the Russians have gotten very good at using. Yeah. Um, so you don't see a lot of these drone videos from the Ukraine side. No. I'm seeing them on the Russian side constantly because they have control of the skies. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're sending up these, these UAVs. These UAVs will go over a, a tree line mm-hmm. with trenches, and they'll basically now pinpoint the coordinates mm-hmm. from the UAV to send back to the artillery, yep. and the artillery, with fucking pinpoint accuracy, will hit a soldier in the head with a mortar round. Yeah, it's nuts. It's crazy, mm. right? They're even sending these UAVs, and I saw this for the first time in, um, I believe it was in Iraq, on a Frontline documentary, where um, I think it was ISIS fighters were, mm-hmm. were sending uh, drones over tops of like military units, yeah, yeah, um, and they had like grenades attached, and to then them. drop them. Yeah. They could drop the grenade and it would you know blow up. These yeah, but now they're on. dropping like actual bombs. Now they're now they're ju- now they're well, some of these drones are dropping like sophisticated explosives mm-hmm. on you know trench lines into the tre- yeah into and the trench lines, blowing up like five six guys. I mean, it, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Like they they said the reports were from somebody that had. Um, uh, was captured, and you can never trust these mm-hmm. uh, interviews. It's always fifty-fifty with uh, those for me. But I think this guy's. I I just I just think this is probably true. They were saying um, that at, for every one hundred, uh, every one hundred artillery rounds mm-hmm. that the Russians fire, the Ukrainians are firing three back. Wow, that is there. There is no world in which we live in where if that's true. And this is this was coming from a guy who was recently captured, and they well, interviewed that, him. That's like he Israel saying, versus Western. Like we bank. can't, we can't, we don't have the rat. We don't. Have, we're not being resupplied mm-hmm. quick enough. Um, I mean, it, basically, he just said, he even this guy even said he said, you know, they're basically. Oh, maybe you read it. There was another one for a, from a mercenary from the U, I think from the U.S. or Canada that mm-hmm. went that was writing on Reddit saying, they're basically sending us to other. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're getting mowed down by our mm-hmm. own guys. Mm-hmm. Like the friendly fire. There's no communication there, among them. There's no coordination, no communication. You're just sending accountants and freaking teachers and, you know, auto workers. Well, some of these people don't know how to read maps, which is a huge problem. 
So what, what they're doing is they're going into villages that have already been liberated and s shooting up the place. Right. So then the liberated villages are asking for help, and who do they send? Their own. And so then, right. then there's little little street fights among Ukrainians. Yeah. They're, they're, they said, the, I think the guy said they had a, they had a shootout for two hours mm -hmm. before they realized they were shooting at their own guys. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, this is just like, and, and I'm, I'm telling you right now, there's always friendly fire and warfare. Oh, yeah. There's always happens, but... A professional army has all kinds of ways of mitigating that. Yep. Um, a non-professional army, I mean, I don't know what the casualty rate is for friendly fire, but I bet you for the Ukraine army, it's super high. I don't know if it's that high, though. You know, why not? Maybe now, but I, definitely, I, I, definitely not I'm earlier. Saying, I, maybe now it's it's probably past twenty percent. I'm saying now it's it's yeah, and I think twenty is high. Twenty yeah. percent high for, I, for an army. I, I think right? it's about twenty percent because I don't know if we can really call it an army anymore. I, I think it's just it's a bunch of uh, sort of uh, insurgency. I mean, is, is, can we call it that? Like, what what is it now? It's not an insurgency because they're fighting on their own on their own land. I mean, it's um, they, you you would just call them non commissioned militias. I, I mean, they're they're kind of like militias. They're, they're not now. even militias, dude, because these guys were not even drilled. Mm. And what you know what happened is the war started, and then they're like. We need. We're losing so many men at mm. such a fast rate. We yeah, need yeah. to start uh, conscripting these guys, and so they're just pulling. Like it's not like these guys were in some sort of boot camp. No, definitely not. And they didn't have forced conscription like they do in Israel. But remember, some right? there was. I think it was twenty five thousand Ukrainians were trained in in UK and another fifteen in Germany. Uh, like all these volunteers, there was like a three week period where they were training them. But I think that was like a couple of months. Ago. I think those guys are dead by now. Yeah, probably. I mean, because they took those guys, sent them to the front line. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Now they're just grabbing guys, whoever the, they can, off the couch and but, being like, "Dude." And let's not forget this: uh, in the very beginning of the war, uh, Zelensky let out everyone that was in jail. Yes, yes, I mean, yes. and he gave them weapons. So what you have on top of the Ukrainian army and the incompetence of, of just normal people, and I, and I don't mean that like uh, as a joke. I mean that as like a kind of sad in, incompetence. Are, imagine it. Imagine what it takes to get put into prison for a long sentence in Ukraine. And then you have all these <laughs> crazy-ass murderers, dudes. rapists, thieves are just like, all right, this is it. This is a free-for-all. I, I mean, I, we could get rich off of this. So I that's what they're doing. I saw a video from Kharkiv mm -hmm. where um, prisoners were just let out and the guy's walking around in the city center going, like, I have to go to the store to get some food and stuff mm -hmm. for me. But like, this is super risky because there are people getting mugged and shot and beat. And That's what was happening in the beginning. The, the yeah. streets still are just is full of criminals because they, they and everybody is like trying to bunker down mm. and and hide from their own people. Yeah, because they let like Zelensky just let all the murderers out on the streets. Uh, that know. is the most insane bane level of of I don't know. I don't know what, how how do you, what, it's chaos building. I mean, is the, is that what this is? is no, it? you just needed every. Available, you know, you give them, and here's the thing. Yeah, but like, you don't give John, Ga John, Jet, what's his John name? Gacy? Gacy. Yeah, you don't give him a. Here's a machine gun. Do your thing. I, I first thing he's doing is like, oh, let, let me find them kids. Yeah. Well, first thing he's doing is like most of these guys. I'm gonna guess in Ukraine were probably like you know robbery, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, stuff like that, or they were in a gang. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm so most of these guys are hard hardened. Yeah. You know, sociopaths, and a lot of them is, are probably Russian speaking. Probably a lot of them were Russian speaking. In fact, that's another problem that I've, I've uh, heard from some reports is that there's a lot of the guys that are fighting on the side of Ukraine mm -hmm. speak Russian and a lot speak Ukrainian. Um, so there's a lot of Russian speakers that are in there and they're Ooh. having trouble with their communication as well. Wow. 
So I didn't think about that. There's yeah. plenty of Russian-speaking Ukrainians that don't like Russia. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a thing, too. Well, I mean, there's a lot of Ukrainians that don't speak Ukrainian. Right, right. And that's a huge problem. This is Russia doesn't have that issue. Yeah, everyone I speaks mean, Russian. They're all speaking Russian. Even the fucking Dagestanis and whatever, they're all speaking Russian, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even, dude, it's crazy when you look at the Russian army. I've said this before. I, I, I'm fascinated because I didn't realize the level of, of diversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll see a bunch of like Chinese looking dudes. Uh huh. Mongolians that, mostly. That are getting ready to go. I mean, yeah, I think they're from uh, Siberia. Yep. Or they're getting ready to go into, you know, Mariupol. Super diverse. And the, the most diverse. There's like monks yeah. they're doing their, their religious ceremony. Mm-hmm. Well, the, like, there's, there's a great story uh, that. Uh, that a Japanese soldier uh, recounts uh, via Murakami is when the Japanese were taking over Manchuria, uh, they were sent on this uh, crazy mission into Mongolia where they were supposed to deliver a a bunch of documents or something like that. And there was four of them. Uh, One of them was like an unknown sort of entity. They went into Mongolia and they got captured. And when they got captured, the Mongols... uh, told the Russians that this is happening. And right away, a Russian soldier was flown in. And, well, he, they killed everybody but one guy. Mm-hmm. But the way that they killed him is they were so precise in the slicing off of skin. They were, uh, I, I can't remember what it's called, where all your skin is cut off. Yeah, f- uh, flailing. Flaying, yeah. flaying. Flaying. So, flaying. So these guys were so, so intense and so delicate in their flaying that, the, that you could literally just make a person out of the skin. And they let this one guy go, but they let him go in such a crazy way. They threw him down a well. And they're like, figure it out. Well, eventually, this Japanese soldier gets out of that well with a broken leg and ends up in a POW camp over in Siberia. Well, by that time, the the Russian soldier that was flaying uh, all all his friends was turned on because Khrushchev came to power, Stalin was dead, and families and dynamics of the Russian uh, oligarchs and, and what whatnot shifted. And here he was, this Japanese soldier just survived, and then this Russian that remembered him. And the Russian says to him, you're going to be my right-hand man because you survived something that no normal human being, not even a Russian, would survive, and that is to be thrown down the well. Well, months go by, and then this Japanese soldier is given a gun as a gift by this Russian soldier with bullets inside. However, this Japanese soldier was more or less like any one of these um, Ukrainians. He wasn't a a professional army fella. So time comes where he wants to get revenge on this Russian guy because now he's running this concentration camp, more or less, this POW camp. So the the Japanese guy goes back to the concentration camp. Yes, so the Japanese guy's in this concentration camp. He sees this, this Russian that tortured his friends. However, the Russian has respect for him because he escaped. Throughout his time there, the Russian uh, starts out as a low-level sort of commander and then moves up through the ranks because he came there as a prisoner uh, after the, the, the coup that happened post-Khrushchev. Well, eventually the Russian runs the camp and he gives the, this Japanese soldier a gun as a, as a form of respect because he, uh, more or less, the Japanese soldier helped, uh, helped in controlling the Japanese uh, soldiers, uh, prisoners of war that were in the camp. He gives him this gun. And, uh, you know, as a, as a gift, thinking that nothing's going to happen. Well, this Japanese soldier wanted revenge and cocks the gun when, when they're alone. He fires, but they're blanks. 
and the Ukraine or the Russian soldier says, "You did something that no Russian would ever do to me. You wanted to kill a, a person of authority, and you but you're so low. So I'm just gonna let you go." And he let him go. He shipped him back to Japan. And the point of the story that I'm trying to make here is that the Russians have such a fear of their superiors. The, the Russians also have this, this sort of czarist way of looking at things that whoever's above them in the system yeah. knows better. And if you go against that, then you're, you have to be taken out. Right. That's why these oligarchs were taken out. That's, that's why you, know, you have all these camps in Russia. Kulaks and, and the kulaks. Yeah. The Ukrainians don't have that. Ukrainians don't have that fear of the authority. What they have is just this chaos. So you have this army that's fighting this Russian sort of uh, fearful of, of the superior with this chaotic Western, half Western, half Eastern sort of uh, amalgamation. Yeah. Who's going to win that? Do you think that the chaotic side is going to win that? Clearly, the one that has the strict or the fear. And I think that's what's happening now. Right, you, right. you have this, this, this dedication to the nation through fear via it's, it's this dedication how, through the chaos. How, and that's a good um, story to kind of highlight how certain cultures mm -hmm. are better at war yeah. because they have a mentality of following orders yeah. and um, you know, respecting authority and just, you know, I think that, um, you know, like, like, like Germans are a warring people. Oh, They're yeah. Very regimented, very Definitely. strict, you know, um, that, that's why. That's what it, they're really good at. So the question that I want to ask you, I think this, this would be like a, a last, you know, like kind of, we can, we can kind of wrap this up, but mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, cause we, we've talked about this a few times on our, on our chat, um, where we go back and forth, but the polls are obviously paranoid about the Russians coming over, which is totally um, rational. Yeah. They're uncertain about the chaos of the Ukrainians and that's rational. Mm -hmm. But is as an outsider, mm -hmm. I'm I'm just looking at Germany going. Oh, they're they're worried. I'm just looking at Germany going, Germany's like I mean they're not they're not as outwardly aggressive right now, mm -hmm. but the way they're they're passive aggressive getting their tentacles into Poland mm. and they're getting this sort of like Hey, we're on your side, type of thing. Yeah, nobody in Poland yeah. believes that, though. I just think that they're maybe distracted too much in one direction. Mm -hmm. I, they are, and allowing for the Germans to build up, really army. just f them. Yeah, I, I, I think everyone in Poland understands that. Really? Okay. Yeah, a, a vast majority knows that what's happening is uh, we're foc we as in Poland is focused way too much on Russia. Because we have this belief, like Poland did prior to World War II, that our allies are going to be there. However, they still know and remember that Britain didn't come to aid right away. France didn't come to aid right away. So there's this scramble to get as much arms as possible, as many Americans into the country as possible, especially American soldiers. Also to help to back the ukrainians fighting mm -hmm. as a like hey well, let's have them let, let them let fight the it ukrainians out ukrainians bleed it out so mm -hmm. we don't have to yeah and, and you know and if people want to volunteer they can go but otherwise we're not officially you yeah. know going to be sending our troops in there but it seems like it seems like there's this power struggle between nato and russia yep and basically germany in my opinion 
Um, I mean, the U.S. is NATO, but I think that Germany is going to be the like. Let's say, let's say the U.S. Mm -hmm. has a has a populist um, president like Trump, who's yep. like, you know, fuck this. Yeah, well, let's get out of NATO. We're not going to spend American tax dollars to defend these countries. They can yep. do it themselves. And there becomes the political will in the U.S. to for the U.S. to withdraw mm. and to basically say you're on your own. Then you have a very dangerous Germany forming. Then you've got NATO, which is essentially going to be an extension of Germany. In part, because look at what's happening in France. Uh, Macron wants to have a no, European no. Union army. On top of that, there is major unrest in, in, in France. Right, but, I, but it's my opinion. I think that France is going to be the first country to push to get out. See, what's going to happen is... Of, of NATO? Yeah. Ooh, that's possible. I see that. Like with, with Because the right, Macron's going to have way too Le many Pen, problems. She's yeah. against NATO. I mean, so if, if you have France pull out, mm. and because and, I think they're the most likely country to pull out of NATO at this point. Wouldn't UK be the first one, though? They're already out of European par or European it, Union. It depends on well, out of the European Union, but it depends on um, the UK's uh, political alliance with the United States. Mm -hmm. You know the special relationship. Yeah, yeah. I just don't see UK having their own independent will to do that. Um, you know, they're not going to bring it up for a vote because yeah, that yeah. didn't go well for him last. Time. So they're they're. I just don't see. And like, look at Boris Johnson. He's so hawkish. He's so. Um, you know, he's so pro-NATO, pro-globalism. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I think that France has the potential. I don't, I don't see it because NATO's expanding. If it's going into Sweden and, and, and Finland, what I see is they're going to try, if, if they do anything like that, it is simply to take care of the problems that they're going to have at home. Right. And they're going to have domestic problems up the ass. Right. Um, some of the French people I've spoken to over the past couple of weeks th believe that Macron's not going to survive the five years, at, at, as in live. Um, oh, yeah. they, they think he's going to get assassinated in some sort of way. Again, revolution of rising expectations. Yeah. Like the French expect a certain quality of life. I mean, you're going to have people freezing in the winter. Mm -hmm. Macron's going to go. Oh, yeah. Um, but but if, you, if you can imagine a scenario, and maybe it's unlikely, but imagine where the French do... Like try to get out of NATO mm -hmm. because the 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 right um, in France takes power. They don't want to be controlled by the EU. They don't want to be controlled by yeah. NATO. They want to have their own defense. Remember, um, snails are fish now. So mm -hmm. yeah, way too many uh, fishermen out there in in, in France. Uh, well, I'm upset. Not just not just them in many sectors. Mm. Um, but the French seem to the be... The yellow vests are going to definitely rile up yeah, the, the country come, come October. I mean, there's probably a couple other countries that I'm... Um, Spain. That, that I'm missing that, that could also go that way. I, I, I saw some massive protests in Holland and um, the farmers in Holland. Mm. I mean... Belgium, too. As Belgium. Well. Um, Italy's, Belgium's Italy's a weird one because like, it's like, the labor, like labor party who basically elected these people and put and basically backed them. Mm. And now they're the ones that are coming on the street saying, yeah, you, we're not getting a return for very our loyalty. It's very fascinating. But if, if France gets out and if the U.S., which is, I think, possible, if the U.S. wins these majorities and you start to get more populist, mm. like like people um, that really want to get out of NATO or yeah. stop funding it, then you're basically in a vacuum where Germany... It's, oh yeah, that's it's scary. A German army that controls all these fucking countries. Listen, anytime Germany has an army, it it leads to war. Hundred Year War. You have the Prussian War expansions. Imagine, you have World War One Two. Oh man, they would invade countries to force vaccinations. 
Oh, they would. Like, I mean, Austria right away joins Germany. Right. Czech Republic, ooh, I don't know how long they'd be around. No, they would immediately be absorbed into the German project. Belanox, done, over with. Done. That's taken in. You ho- you only have some Frenchmen who'd be like, oh no, well, well we remember this, no no Vichy too, or what is it, Vichy Vichy too? Vichy, um, yeah. Alsace, yeah, they wouldn't want that. Alsace Lorraine. Um, the Italians would wait until uh, until another Benito comes along. Look, look at the way the Italians responded to the COVID pandemic and the way they. they yeah, but that made sense in the context. Uh, oh, very old uh, population with. Uh, 95% smokers. I mean, these people eat cigarettes for Except breakfast. For, for Draghi, yeah. um, is a, he's a World Economic Forum oh, yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, Way so, too many so, bankers uh, up, right, up on top right. in Europe nowadays. So you know that Draghi was using this as a way to, to create a social credit system, mm-hmm. sort of you know, a digital ID. Yeah, but you see the problem with Italy is that it's so easy for it to fracture. Yeah. Because the Italians, they have this whole idea that they're Italy... But Florence is still like we're Florence, Milan, we're yeah. we're Milanese, yeah. and it's you know like Tuscany's Texas. Tuscany. Yeah. They they realize that at any moment in time they could just be like, you know what, fuck it, I don't like this whole Italian thing happening. Right. And that's what's happening. You have all these uh, groups coming together into sort of fiefdoms. I talked to some help. Italians, and, and w- what they've told me is there, there's very little hope in the government. So neighbors uh, and towns are coming together and helping each other out. Right. And this is what I want to see happen more. I mean, I, for me, I think decentralization is great. I think this um, abortion ruling where I know, I know everyone is, we won't go to get into this, but I, like just mm-hmm. on a surface level, like basically saying the federal government's not going to mandate or dictate that you have to, your state has to uh, allow abortions. Mm-hmm. We're just going to send to the states and let the states make their own laws. I think that's a and, good, good thing. Anytime you take it away from a big central authority and you kick it back to the regions mm-hmm. to, to decide for themselves is a very good thing in my opinion. And I want to see more of these um, just around the world. I want to see the EU start to dismantle and decentralize. I want to see NATO dismantle, decentralize. I think these big global, um, whether it be organizations or, or, you know, political entities or governments, Mm -hmm. these big global things, bureaucracies, when they, they when they fuck up, Mm -hmm. everybody, everybody, everything's fucked. Everybody. If you have a small little decentralized group and they make a bad call, mm-hmm. it's just limited to that one thing. And then the, the, the little, let's say the government next to them makes yeah. the right call, but you're allowing people to be more involved in their destiny. Yes, exactly. And that's what we need. We don't need to have, you know, we don't, we don't need to have some big central authority telling Poland what they can and cannot do with their mm-hmm. forests. Exactly. This is crazy. Or with their coal. Or with their coal. It's crazy. Um, so then you have Germany, which wants to tell Poland what they can and cannot do with their coal or with their forests. Meanwhile, they shut down all their nuclear reactors so they can't and have their any coal energy. Re- and, and their coal. Yeah. And now they don't have any energy, so they're basically firing up their coal factories. Everything's back to normal. Their coal gen- uh, their coal uh, factories, power, yeah, uh, power, power, power uh, stations. Power grids. Yeah. It's insane. But where did the green energy go? Like, why isn't that saving everybody? It, well, is that going to heat uh, all these homes during winter not time? Unless you, uh, not unless you develop batteries that can store all that energy so you can use it when you want to. Yeah, but doesn't that come from slavery? Yes. Yeah, don't we need that cobalt and that lithium? And the only way you get the cobalt, the lithium, the nickel is by uh, strip mining. Oh, yeah. Um, and using uh, machinery 
uh, which is driven by fossil fuels to get it out of the ground. So um, we could go on and on. About energy. And I mean, there's only so much nickel and lithium. And there's only so, there's so only much. so much yeah. cobalt. Right. And you know, once that's gone, it's the same thing as with gas and coal. I think there's a shit ton of lithium in Australia. Um, oh, that's true. They, there's they a, have, yeah. I think they have a lot. I'm not. I think cobalt is the is the best. Um, what's it called? Um, Argentina has a lot of it too. Cobalt. Cobalt. Mm-hmm. Cobalt's in I think areas of Africa, and not very pretty how it's obtained. Oh, it's uh, very. It's done very naturally through the. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's it goes massaging an, an of or, the earth an organic process <laughs> whereby we use brondo because it has electrolytes yeah um, they, they drink kibacha and then they uh and they go down into the earth that's yeah. what they do if you don't know what brondo is it's the um uh brondo is the idiocracy idiocracy where yeah. it's basically used for everything it's like people drink it cows love it they use it in fields and they're like and the guy the plants main, love the main it. character's like you know because he was in a coma mm-hmm. anyway and he's like but why do you, why does everybody drink brown nose? Like, how they say it's got electrolytes? It's like that's all you gotta say. And everyone everyone's uh, employed by Brando. It's like ninety seven percent, right? And and I, and I think um for a long time in the U.S. there was the marketing of antioxidants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like everything was antioxidants. <laughs> like, literally everything was an antioxidant. That's true. Like if if you take this, it, you're gonna be healthier because mm-hmm. it has antioxidants. Mm-hmm. It's it's really a <laughs> it's just it's great. But um anyway, so wonderful scams. Wonderful scams, um, and we're seeing some of that play out. But no, I I do, I do think that Germany is, um, and and also think about it's the serpent in the grass. That's what it think is. Think about a Germany that right now is you know we're pre economic crash. Mm-hmm. Think about a, a German population with with desperation involved. Yeah, but there's also a German Turkish population. Also, this. But there's also those millions that are just like, you know what? This this is really Turkey, not Germany anymore. There's that, and uh, there's that. If anyone remembers the 1600s, well, Battle of Vienna, I what, think it's coming back to that slowly. The, uh, Ottoman or the um, yeah. yeah. What what I would what I would say to that is, we could only hope that that would be a domestic internal distraction that would prevent yes. them from lashing out at. And controlling everyone around. Because I think Erdogan would do that. He'd pull those strings yeah. if they're, they're necessary. Well, he he would know. He would know that that would be a, like a, a, mm-hmm. a bulwark to yep. them just looking outward. Exactly. Um, you'd have because to... Turkey wants its lands back. I mean, it more or less got to go ahead from NATO to kill all those Kurds. Does it want to do get up to Bosnia or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Once they all the Kurdistan and all those regions. Yeah, I just think. I mean, I just think we're we're under. Um, underestimating what because the germans have seemed like mm-hmm. oh they're the civilized country with the yeah. order we don't the, put out our flag until 2006 because we were so ashamed yeah they're very peaceful they're 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 not involved in wars they're not they don't have a military they're mm-hmm. they're just they're just you know focusing on their people and their domestic programs and, yeah, yeah and i think i'm sure they're doing that there's yeah. something this sounds really like racial to say uh-huh. but there's something in german culture there's something in german um uh, tribalism that came yes. through the roots of this that that I think they internalized this and, and I'm not a psychologist I'm not, I'm not a psychiatrist not, I'm not like trying to mm-hmm. um, read their minds I'm just saying there seems to be something that plays out in German culture historically that has a pattern mm-hmm. of them needing conquest yes and I think uh, you can find all of that evidence for it in their in their fairy tales 
because yes. all of their right. fairy tales, all right. their myths, right. all of their legends are based in this sort of primordial need to expand and control what is beyond and what is beyond is always pagan and, yeah. and, and alien and that has to be eliminated for uh, Hansel and Gretel to eat that bread house. Right, and, and this is why you had these, um, was it Visigoths? Or, yeah. Um, on, the, on the gates of Rome. That's right. You know, like it's, it's, it's in there sort of, uh, how long can they go just being... It's too long. I it's, mean, come it, on now, I, 70 years. This is this, what I'm this, saying, This dude. is the longest that the Germans have not been slaughtering. This is what I'm saying. Like I mean, clock every 30 ticking. years going back to as long, you know, to, to the fall of Rome, there's always just the German, I mean, the Holy German Empire. What did they do? They did nothing more but just, all right, pagans here, pagans there, got to slice them all up. Mm-hmm. This is now the Holy Roman, Holy Roman Empire. That's what I, I right. meant. But it was really Germany. It, it was, was really, really Germany. I mean, Frederick II just did whatever he, the hell he well, had Oh, that's when do. they were burning all of the other... Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's where I, Christianity spread the way it did. It I think came it was the Germans Poland. that like burned Jan Hus the stake. Yeah, yeah. The German Catholics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Jan Hus being the religious leader, the very first religious revolution against the Catholic Church was actually not... Um, it wasn't Martin Luther's Protestant no, Revolution. It no. was Jan Hus yep. um, and the Czechs who rose up, and then that that became the um, uh, Jan Zizka yep. formed armies because of the they burned Jan Hus at the stake. Yep. So Jan Zizka formed armies and basically just had you know um, the Hussite. Well, wars, it, you know. technically, if it wasn't for the Czechs, Poland would get razed to the ground, right? Because Poland was very pagan. They believed in their Purins and their and their Charnobugs and whatnot. And the Czechs were like, listen, this Holy Roman Empire here is slaughtering everybody. We're Christian. You guys want to marry? Uh, we got this beautiful lady here. You got this yeah. bear-looking fella here. <laughs> you marry, you become Christian, nobody dies. Right. And that's what happened. Poland, Poland got christened. And the Holy Roman Empire is like, well, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go to Spain. Let's slaughter all those fucking yeah, heathens yeah, there. Right, right, right. We'll pivot. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we're going this way now. Yeah, it, it's just fascinating to me that and again, you know, we and that's kn- the primal German need for for conquest. We know our history. Yeah, we studied it um, a little. We I don't, I don't know that we touched on it too much in read our, fairy in tales grad program. But read, if you read the fairy tales. I'm telling you, you read those uh, Grimm's fairy tales. It's a, that's German history 101 right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 always there's an other. Mm-hmm. It's always there's um, an other that needs to be destroyed. Yes, um, and I think we. We're making a massive miscalculation. I expect the United States to make that miscalculation because we're just so short-sighted. Yeah, like we we don't have a, a long history. We don't have a long historical memory. Mm-hmm. You know, we go back to the Revolution. People that were born in the states, we have this like short memory. Yeah, I think it would be a massive mistake for Poles and Czechs, um, uh the Baltic states oh, yeah. to only look at Russia as the immediate threat mm-hmm. and forget about what Germany is capable of. Yep. Well, you, when I was in Poland, three countries that were constantly being discussed is Germany, uh, Russia, and Turkey. In, in our grad program, and that's a, in our grad program with, with the Poles that were in there mm-hmm. when we were a lot at the time, Germany was discussed a lot. Yeah. Um, well, because the euro, I would say more, just I would say more than Russia. I would say, yep. I would say there was probably, and even even like our professors, like um, uh, you know, at the time, mm-hmm. I feel like 
Germany was equally as sort of a threat as Russia. Now it seems like, and I haven't been there, you have, but mm -hmm. it seems like because of what's playing out, it's this very convenient distraction yep. on the east, out in the east, mm -hmm. where Germany is now consolidating yeah. power. Well, well also, uh, with regards to what's happening, in the university setting in Poland, there's this kind of communist weird shift where uh, you tattle and you rat on, on out anybody that might seem like they're pro-Russian. Mm -hmm. yeah. So so that mentality of the communist snitch is still there. Right. And it's it woke up. Right. They'll burn the Reichstag and blame mm -hmm. it on the Russians. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's that's what's happening right. now. I, I, that's, that's what I see playing out. Now, now I, I could be wrong and there could be some... Uh, people that have enough of a democratic mm -hmm. spirit, or, or let's not say democratic, it's the wrong word, but maybe have enough of a respect for civil society and values, okay. Western, Western civilized values mm -hmm. in Germany now that have taken hold that will be able to stop it. Yeah. But if desperation becomes too great, yeah. it's an easy override. Oh, yeah, for sure. Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, man, I think, I think this is like something that we're not... Like it needs to be talked about yeah. way more, because I, mostly because I think the Germans need to to hear that people have these concerns, so they actually start to think about. But it. you see that the, the the media in Germany's doing this weird thing where it's telling people that Germany's supplying most of the arms and most of the supplies to uh, Ukraine, which makes them feel even better about themselves. They're just sort of weird virtue signaling. Uh, the Germany has to do because of what they did in World War II. That they, it's it's almost like the country is all woke. Like they're atoning for their. Sins. Yes, th there's this weird sort of uh, uh, what what's the, what, what did Christians like really pious Christians do where they whip themselves? Oh, there's yeah. like a word for that. Yeah. Well, well, that's that's what Germany's doing. That there's this 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 penance. Self flagellation. I guess. Yes, fl self flagellation. Yeah. yeah. But on a yeah. cultural level. Yeah. That that's this is what. <laughs> this is what all of even Western liberals are doing now. Mm, yes, yeah. like the white guilt and the self-flagellation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, but I think that the Germans should be like if they were responding health in a healthy way, uh -huh. they would be going, "Hey, um, you know, based on what Grandpa did, uh -huh. you know, based on what most of our great grandfathers did." Um, and the stories that we heard about how they, you know, took, you know, what rolled into Belgium, they rolled into France, they rolled into Poland, they, you know, all the crimes they committed. Maybe we shouldn't be the ones that are involved in like giving other people weapons mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Maybe we should probably like reassess that based on just based on you know just being safe. Yeah, yeah. Based on what we came, you know, where we came from. Yeah, yeah. We should at least have that conversation. Mm -hmm. I can see where media and politicians. Would very conveniently use it as a use tool. that as if you do talk about that you're you're not patriotic mm -hmm. or you're not you're not sufficiently anti um, Russian enough you're, you're not sufficiently anti and man it's it's a convenient way to get Germans to not to obey to obey and not consider again this is the, <laughs> dude, this is the this is the same thing that happened in the 1930s, yes. the economic crisis. I mean, w w do we have to relive this shit again? I think it's coming. I think it's coming. I, I think there's, there's this cultural shift in Germany where there, and in Japan, because if you look at what's happening in Japan, Japan, it's very similar. They're sort of realizing, like, you know what? We've been uh, castrated for way too long. 
I think it's time to start right, you know, getting this army going, this the self-defense force shit. No, not no. anymore. We got all these black forests down south we got to take care of. We got coal in Silesia that's technically ours. Right. And Japan, Japan's doing the same thing. They're like Manchuria. You know, that's, uh, that's, well, that's and, ours. And, and Japan and Germany both have negative population growth. Yes, exactly. I mean, there's, there's all these things, dude, that are like, like mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, maybe it's like our fault because we should have this podcast be much bigger by now. We, we should have been consistently Investing. discussing well, these things. Right. There's time. There's time, but but I don't hear anybody discussing the threat of Germany. No, nobody is. And it seems Cause, like... Because it's an ally, you know? Have you it, heard? Everyone was talking about Germany, the menace, when, uh, when there was that crash in 2004, right. of the, the Euro crash. And let's be honest, the Greeks and the Spaniards were the only ones... That's correct. ...who yeah. kept on saying, Germany's a threat, Germany's, Germany's a threat, yeah. this is... They're robbing us. They're the robbing our future. Is coming from and Europe. then they're like, shut up. You know, sh- shut your fucking mouth, Greeks. Yeah, we'll punish you. Yeah, and, and that's what happened. And all of a sudden, Greece is very quiet. Yeah. And Spain became very quiet. Because Germany has the mm-hmm. weight of the economic power to exactly. really hurt them. Mm-hmm. And this is what, I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling. There's a silent tyrant in Europe. It, so, um if you ever listen to Scott Adams' podcast, yeah, good guy. He, he he uses the um, the phrase, the dog that's not barking. Hmm. Like what you want to like when you have a group of dogs and all these dogs are barking the same thing. Mm-hmm. Where's the dog that's not barking? In my in my opinion, it's Germany. Yeah, Germany is the dog that's not barking. I agree. I see it. Right. Yeah. No one. It's no just one, growling. It's just. It's like it's. You know, it's it's getting up and stretching. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, it's the it, big dog in the it's back starting to sniff other butts and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's making its way around, but it's not. It's keeping it's keeping quiet. It's, lo- it's looking what what the other dogs are doing. Other dogs are all barking and being loud, and you notice them, but we're not paying attention. To the, and, it, and by the way, the other dogs are like Pomeranians, and this is a fucking German Shepherd. Ooh, and we're not paying any attention to it. Those are those get real hungry real fast. German Shepherd. Yeah, I mean Alsatian. Mm-hmm. These are these are dangerous. This is a dangerous dog. Why? why and very is, very wise dogs too. Why is that dog not barking? Mm-hmm. Right. Good What's point. What's going on? So anyway, we were at two hours, man. Nice. I think we got two minutes. We have to clip out from bathroom breaks, but uh, sounds good. Yeah, I'll man. We, clip it I think, out. We, I think we did it. We'll see what it sounds like. If it, if it's good quality, we'll post it. If it's not, ladies okay. and gentlemen, no, we'll post all of this. I don't care. We'll post it all the way. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, uh, Jeff. Anal swab away, my man. Yeah, Jeff. Um, sorry, we, we're missing a very important part of this podcast, um, Jeff. But uh, he is—he's uh, traveling as he always is. So we'll, we'll try to. We're, we're going to try to figure out a way to get all three of us to be able to do this, like you know, more than Key West 2022. And by the way, like Adam, you can see what we have as our setup here. We can take all this stuff in the bag and go anywhere and do a podcast. So, That'd be great. So anyway, anyway, thank guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, try to support us. Um, you know, like, like it, share it, send it to your friends, whatever you got to do. So you find it wherever podcasts are available because Adam's going to post it everywhere. Yep. And we're going to try to get more of this content out because I know that I think, and this is just my opinion, I think that we have a unique perspective because we all live there. We all studied there. Uh, my wife is from the Central European area. Adam, you know, basically is, a, you know, his parents are first generation, yep. you know, from the area. He, go, his, he goes to visit his grandparents in Poland, very close to the Ukrainian border. 
Um, I know these guys went on a trip to Odessa and back by, by rail. They've mm-hmm. seen the country. They've, they've, they've experienced it. And we are kind of like wonks when it comes to like we, like we get into the geopolitics of oh, this region. Sure. So we're into it, and we're trying to – I think we're trying to be as objective as possible, even though – you know, you have a poll. It's really hard to be objective if you're. It's very difficult, but you know, um, I do what I can. And and for and for me, it's just a matter of like, I'm keenly aware of all the terrible things the United States does, mm. and so I'm trying to to I'm trying to not just be reactionary, always anti-U.S., mm-hmm. but I'm also like looking at the at NATO as a basically a proxy of the US army and which it is which is which is what it is and and seeing how they operate and what things happen that lead to conflict and oftentimes mm-hmm. oftentimes that conflict comes from you know basically needing a conflict to satisfy the bloodlust of the weapons contractors and we can talk about that next time oh wow but yeah, that's a lot to talk, talk about it's though. a good seg it's a good not segue but it's a good way to like like let next time let's talk about you know, Raytheon, uh, Raytheon, uh, McDonald, uh, Douglas, and mm-hmm. Lockheed Martin, and all these guys, and how that factors into why, you know, my prediction was with all my friends that were Biden supporters, or not, mm-hmm. not even Biden supporters, they were more just anti-Trump. They were all like, "Well, we want Biden, we want Biden, we're going to vote for Biden." And I was like, "I was like, you guys are going to vote for Biden, and immediately there will be a war." And that's what happened. And that's what happened. I, I warned them. I said, "There's a reason why there hasn't been a new war started under Trump." I don't, no matter what you think about him, mm-hmm. but. If you think that you're anti-war and you vote for Biden, you're basically voting for war. And immediately after Biden gets election gets elected, the Russians roll in because of all the things Biden was doing. That's right. Which we can talk about later. But anyway, um, thanks for listening. Go and spread, share this thing. Go around. all your friends. Get it out there. Go to your mom. Give it to your dad. Give it to your your aunt. cat. Your Give your it to dog. Your uncle. Make sure they all listen, so they That's know. Right. That's right. They know the true threat is. Not just Russia, but also these freaking Germans. That's right. True story. We can't forget history. Now, go and have a good day. Ab and I are going to go drink some German beers to that's celebrate right, that's our, right. our bashing of Germany. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and probably uh, have a steak as well. Because, oh. Mm. Because we've only got a few months left before we have to eat cricket. Uh, that's right. Powder. That's so, right. So go. So get it out there. Get the word out. Spread the word. Uh, what are we called? Dispatches from nowhere. <laughs> Dispatches from nowhere. It's been so long I forgot. Okay, peace. You guys.